0: now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast.
1: I'm back in the saddle
0: again. Out where a friend is a friend. Where the longhorn cattle feed on the lowly and weed.
1: Back in the saddle again.
0: Riding the... As long as they keep on making animated Star Wars, Hope Molnaks and Chris Honeywell will be on the case. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi, a project that began with Clone Wars and now may never end.
2: Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of the Book of Boba Fett. Are we sure this is not Mandalorian? It is the Book of Boba Fett.
1: I'm going to argue, I got my argument after my second viewing. It, this is Book of Boba Fett.
2: It is Book of Boba Fett. Definitively. And I, I have that too in Act 3 because I have two thoughts about that. Like, I have the good thing, which is how this is Book of Boba Fett. And then I have the corporate icky feeling that the corporateness gives me. Which is the, which is my only critique of the episode to be upfront. But hey, let's finish this. In this episode, an unexpected ally emerges as Boba Fett and Finnix Shan reach out to the Mandalorian Din Djarin. There will be, himbo dad is back, baby, and he's sad and going through a midlife crisis. We are talking about the Book of Boba Fett episode, Return of the Mandalorian, this week. How are you doing, Chris?
1: I'm doing good.
2: I'm doing good, too. I, I was telling Chris a little bit beforehand. I, I had a busy week in the post-Tales of the Jedi world because I wrote a lot about the Ahsoka novel. And then I was uh, I was actually on ATD, ATG ATGCast. Um, that's up on their YouTube. They, I was a guest on their show. They invited me on, and we, they were really nice guys, and we, we had a really good time over there um, where I talked a lot about the Ahsoka novel, which I will definitely be getting into when we cover Tales of the Jedi next year because... We counted it out, and that'll be January, so it's coming. <laughs> you have some time, but but general thoughts. Uh, what did you think of this past Andor and Tales of the Jedi?
1: Um, Tales of the Jedi was very good. Um, I only thought one episode was kind of fluffy, but it wasn't. It was a good episode, but it was it didn't have the like. Which one? Uh, the first Ahsoka story, the the uh, baby Ahsoka story. It's a nice story, but it doesn't. It, it's a nice story, and it, it it sort of gives a starting point for the other. Like, it grounds the other p- stories in here with a starting point because we're watching everybody move through time in it, mm-hmm. and so it does. It, it it serves that purpose, but it's I... not. It doesn't like rev like reveals anything super it's just nice you know it's 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 pretty and it's it's not but it it suffers a little bit from you know like that like it's very it's very much in star wars of where like you know and and this gets back into the native american sort of thing where you know she's she's taking her daughter on the traditional hunt and stuff and this is a little 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 baby but she's taught but just she's talking to her in just sort of bland, you know, platitudes of stuff like, Now remember, child, we must respect the earth and stuff. And I'm all for respecting the earth, but it's just very generically and blandly presented, you know.
2: I it- I hear what you're saying. My my thought about it is I I think it's very interesting to see... And and I I wish it was like a minute or two longer for for this reason. I think it's interesting to get to know the parents of people who give up their kids to the Jedi. Because the only real context we have is Shmi Skywalker. So, like, getting to see Ahsoka's parents and getting to know about them. Because you know the pain that they'll go through when they have to give up their child for good. And what I did like is you can see bits of Ahsoka in both of her parents. Like, she has her, like her father's like sarcasm and and like kind of quippiness and she has her mother's steadfastness um so i I thought that part was cool but i I definitely get what you're saying because like i wish i i I read or or saw videos like these all feel like appetizers and i wish they were longer because i would like another like five minutes with her parents of just being like we have to give up our child what like that would have made it like sink in
1: that well i mean you know maybe down the line they can do another one that 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 covers that so because if they if they added that that would have been just like you wouldn't have had enough time to like in a in a a thing like this to adequately do it and and it would be such a weird tonal shift in the story but like i i I forgot what i was gonna say never mind (laughs)
2: i'm sorry <laughs> something, something talking...
1: about her parents something about her parents but you
2: said that they were mostly talking in pliitudes and it was just kind of simple well, the, basic. The,
1: the mother was the father didn't get to the father didn't get much to do except like you know work on the work on the house and look concerned and just sort of just sort of be there you know i mean it was uh, the, like the, the the story itself is good i oh i know what i was gonna say i think i i i I, I think it was a video I saw or something I read about that episode was th- it was originally going to be something else. And uh, they, they decided to do this one because there just weren't enough, like, stories in Star Wars with a mother and daughter doing something together, you know? So... <laughs> oh,
2: that's so telling. <laughs> uh,
1: but, I mean, that's... I I mean... I mean, I'm saying that's the weakest episode, but it's a really great episode, but the other ones are are pretty, I mean, I can't wait to get to them, but I'm more excited about that last episode, of, episode eight of Andor, mm-hmm. is before, a, is a masterpiece do... of writing, of execution in all Chris, levels.
2: Chris, 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 before we get to Andor, I just want to give my two thoughts on uh, Tales of the Jedi, um, because... I, I very much agree. Like, at, at this point, I'm like, I, I love Ahsoka. She's my favorite character. And I know why thematically they chose her for Dooku, because they both love the Jedi Order. But, like, I kind of want to break up Ahsoka stories, because we're about to get a whole Ahsoka show. Um, and, yeah, but the Dooku stuff was stellar. Well, like, we've hardly I wish had
1: any had- Dooku. And, and, like, in backstory... And Dooku has always been... Like very mysterious and Sithidious, and like okay, we realized that Dooku was Sithidious, but it was all very murky, and I think purposely so. But like it, it made you want to know more. So, and this just gave you enough, enough to sh- sort of show you know the way Dooku's. Dooku was like mirrored Anakin and was different than Anakin and a little, you know, how he was, you know, shifted into that, you know, he was well intentioned and and just kept doing worse and worse things till he was in too deep, you know. But the thing it, is,
2: he wasn't was it was any of the things he was doing worse, or was it just going against the restrictions of the council? Like, was it really? "Quote unquote" worse, and that's the question.
1: No, was... no, I mean the stuff when he started doing stuff for Palpatine. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, that's.
2: Different.
1: You know, yeah. when he starts working for Pal, no, the stuff he was doing for the, I mean, like that, that, that first one, it was showing that, like, yeah, when he goes against the council, though, he had like, that was the right thing to do at that. Exactly. That, you know, he and and he was doing it for that reason. He was like, okay. And the interesting I don't thing want is, to is that. And he was and it and it also underlined the weaknesses of the Jedi that we've been pointing out through the all the prequels and exactly
2: quote. because the thing is is like you're right, Dooku did do the right thing, but Mace got rewarded, not Dooku. Right. Right. But like um I also loved all the Qui-Gon stuff too. I I, I never get enough of Qui-Gon Jen, but now
1: he's such a me, doof. The young Qui-Gon I, is such a he's got I that just a, he's got that lost. And maybe it's just a character design, but he's just got that sort of lost baby look about him all the time. Just I, of- love,
2: I love that Dooku's in like, full, like, gorgeous robes. And, like, Qui-Gon looks like he just got out of bed that mo- mo- morning, took a dust bath, and then, like, went over.
1: Yeah, work. <laughs> he looks like some surf surf that, like, is Dooku's, you know, come on, you can be my stick boy. Come on. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, Chris, tell me why Episode 8 of Andor was a beautiful masterpiece of writing.
1: Uh, writing and uh, and filming and d- direction and acting er, all of the above it was masterful because there was the tensest thing in the world for one. Um, there's just you know I'm loving but this is showing how the empire works, you know physically and psychologically, and the in star wars and everything in everything whenever they whenever like you're going to work prison by the bad guys what ha what happens where do you see these people in a fucking like rock mine you know or in a junkyard or so, you know some some place like that and and like You know with guy guys wandering around with whips you know faster you know idiot rebel scum you know no (laughs) and like the the, their entrance into it and i don't you know you know uh, trying not to get into action you know detailed um because man these are going to be long episodes when we get to
2: we're gonna have like three-hour episodes. This, Easy. Yeah, I know. Oh my god.
1: Um, but uh, yeah, that like the opening speech they give is that they get coming into the um prison, and then the demonstration is is masterful. It's out of like a you know Kafka book or something like that. It's and the way the way that they just like psychologically put you in this trap you know this repeating trap that's you know just basically it's just like you know you have your sentence but you're you're there at a death set you're gonna work till you die or you kill yourself there and they just you know and they work it so they're like okay We'll put these people in that that most of them aren't going to come out of here, but we'll get the maximum production, you know, like a computer algorithm, like a computer algorithm designed it. And then Palpy came in and gave it a few tweaks, you know, but it's we're seeing that we're seeing the physical corporate side of of the the um, empire. And we're seeing, you know, just, you know, the supernatural part of it is not in view now and it's in they're showing how this is even scarier and worse because it's just the bland day-to-day and then we're seeing the rebels you know and their and their power struggles and you know just the the idea expressed in this one of like hey the empire is taking over too you know just too smoothly you know people have to feel this if they're going to react, you know, otherwise they're just going to take the path of least least resistance. And that's what the empire is counting on. So like, it's, it's the, it's, it's, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet, but like, you know, you're they're they're showing in this, the, the actual, you know, the price they're showing the eggs getting broken. So it makes it, you know, it makes it harder people that P that's why people are like, Oh, this is gray, you know, with the rebel, the rebellions acting gray, but they're actually acting in the only way that they can to like, you know, once you've gotten to that point, you know, the only options you have are, are horrifying. (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, and it's, it is, uh, You know, when they first were like, oh, this is going to be grown up Star Wars, Star Wars for grown ups, adult Star Wars. And and I'm and everybody's like, are they going to have people having sex? And then like people are like, yay they said shit in the first episode. And it's just like, oh, no. But this is truly like adult writing, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like although i i think uh, like a little a, a little kid would probably definitely get bored of it a teenage te- I, I had a teenager at work today a 16 year old was just like um uh, asked me i said oh, i'm watching The is one of the shows i why he's like i'm watching that isn't it really good i didn't think it was good so and he's just a regular you know regular joe kid consumer not yeah, I mean, guy. I've seen
2: a lot of reports of like kids just like not enjoying Andor because it's so much talking. Um, so and I and I definitely get that because um, it's not really they're not the demographic.
1: I'm eating it up. The board yeah, like me too. More, give me more. The boardroom meetings in this are fantastic.
2: <laughs> I. <laughs> and, um, Oh, go ahead.
1: I think it's freed from the shackles of like having to deal with like you know well-known characters and 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 stuff like that so you don't have to and, and not having to provide easter eggs or really you know they still have to work within continuity but they there's just a lot there they're just freed from a lot of baggage you know and it's all baggage that they probably it doesn't seem like Gilroy really wanted in the first place so or had <laughs> mm. for like fanboyness you know oh you oh, you know oh my god i get to actually do a shot with a star destroyer you know so he's more so he's more like okay what's this star destroyer thing okay what, what let's see what would i do with it you know mm. so it's it's very much it's reminiscent to me of the star trek two wrath of khan um, situation with with Nicholas Meyer directing it, who was like, Star Trek, yeah, I think I've seen a couple Star Trek shows. It was pretty good, you know? And he's like, let me read up on these characters and, and you know, the the general gist of what's going on, I'll write you up a story, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, my two cents of it is, yes, everything you just said, I'm not going to rehash that because you are correct, um, but I also like how... Tony is showing how power corrupts other people. Um, uh, 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 Denise Gao, who plays Detra Miro, the, the Imperial Lady in the ISB, um, she had a quote over the weekend because she was at a convention. And it's very true to what it, like what um, Star Wars is doing in Andor. And she said... Tony wrote the first scenes for us to cheer for Dedra but in the end you don't do it anymore she's not just a woman in a man's world she is a fascist in a world of fascists and it's important to see that power corrodes women as much as men and i was like that is the very heart of what this is is that like she he is showing us the very real world implications of fascism in a galaxy far far away and i tweeted this out and i still stand by it if Andor is not recognized at the Emmys just because it's a Star Wars, I'm gonna throw hands. Like it, it is one of the most timely <coughs> and important shows on television, mm. reflecting our current mm. real world very much.
1: I'll, I'll I'll put it this way: it's gonna have to come. There's there, but the th- here's the thing: it's this is Star Wars catching up with that world, because Star Wars never really has been in that business at all, but this is. And this and this isn't over-the-top like The Boys. Um, I don't know if you watch The Boys, but you're, I know you're probably familiar with it.
2: I'm familiar with it. I haven't the, watched the show. it. I, I uh, looked at it a little bit, and I'm like, that's a little bit too much for me, but I see why people like it's, it. it.
1: It's really gory, and it's over-the-top, but it is also, like, just tied to current events. And it also is not just sort of like, hey, we're—you know, it's making commentary— and the commentary is pretty deep, but it's all in the context of you know a superhero show, and it's I, and I mean the the writing and the acting it's just as just as good as Andor. Andor maybe has a little edge over it, because Andor is really like like the the Boys is made more like a a a a regular TV show, and Andor is going to have a variety of directors and stuff, but it's really got like it's really got like a a tight visual you know it's really got a tight whole thing to it you know to where it's almost felt as a whole like you know there hasn't been any of the directors have done a show that like completely feels different than another or has a different feel than the other shows you know it's it's all if it has a different feel it's because it's broaching another topic but like the overall look and like camera style and stuff you know there isn't like oh this director likes to move the camera around a lot more but but you know there's a lot of like really well written shows out there but also it might also like be nice to you know throw Star Wars a bone and something like that because this it's really good it's really well written the acting is top Notch
2: absolutely, like that's Once kind gets, of like
1: where we got soccer and gave him a chance to just fucking chew the scenery.
2: That's that's where I am too. Is like I know that it's probably not going to be recognized by any of the big award shows because it's a Star Wars, and that's a fucking shame because like genre shows are doing such interesting stuff. Like, I, I, The Boys has never been nominated for anything outside of like tech Emmys. And it's a shame right. because like genre shows are like looked down upon of like oh it's a Star Wars that's not as prestigious as I don't know The Sopranos or whatever, um, and it's just a fucking shame. Which show. is
1: funny because The Sopranos is trash just like anything else. It's pulp. It's it's a it's a mafia story that I'm sure is not realistic. You know, it's rom- a romanticized mafia story and. It might have had like more of an edge to that at the beginning, but like yeah, it. But it and and it, it was also early on in in TV, you know, like movies, TV I, mixing. That was the together. first thing
2: that came to my head. Uh, like that
1: and Oz and stuff like that. Yeah. You know. And like Oz got a lot of Oz. This this is an important piece of thing. And when you watch old Oz, episodes of Oz, you're like, oh, this is trash, you know. And and not 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 in trash it is that it's bad, but it's like not, you know it's it's not you know, high art. it's it's pop pop culture yeah. art. Good, good, very good pop culture art
2: i'm I'm hoping that, like, with the wins that squid game had, um because that is a little bit more pulpy and a little bit like more pop culture and stuff like that, um it it's gonna open a door for andor. I'm really hoping that. But we should talk about Book of Boba Fett because I have a shit ton of notes for this episode. We're going to be here for a little bit. (laughs) All right. You ready? I'm ready. Return of the Mandalorian is the fifth episode of Book of Boba Fett. It aired on January 26, 2022, and it was written by Jon Favreau and directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. And a little tie-in to Tales of the Jedi last week, Bryce Dallas Howard was the voice of Yaddle. That was fun. Some extra information for you. Pedro Pascal, Amy Sedaris, Emily Swallow, John Favreau, and Paul Sung-Hyung Lee all return to their respected roles from The Mandalorian. The Clantunian boss, Kaba Baez, was played by Ardesher Rapport. This is actually his second Clantunian character he plays as he's one of the leaders of Moss Espa in the last episode. He is mainly a stunt actor and has worked on Westworld, The Walking Dead, and the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. The ishii Guild Guildmaster is puppeted by uh, Safiya Fredericks and voiced by Hel- Helen Sadler, who is the Ray in the Lego Star Wars series. Lieutenant Reed is played by Max Lloyd-Jones. He was the body double for Mark Hamill in the season two finale of The Mandalorian to bring young Luke Skywalker to life. And no, he is not back in next week's episode. I will probably have things to say about that because AI Luke creeps the fuck out of me. BD-72 is the same droid model as Cal Kestis's droid BD-1 in Jedi: Fallen Order. The BD units were companion droids designed to assist with operations in remote and dangerous locations across the galaxy. Programmed to be the ideal assistant for two researchers or explorers operating alone in the field, they were designed but to travel all to drive they were designed to traverse all types of terrain. As a result of their manufacturer collapsing, BD units were relatively rare sight in the galaxy, and this is a huge shame because they are the cutest little fucking things ever made. And I need like twelve of them, guys. I love BD units; they are so fucking cute. I, I, I might—hot take: BD units are cuter than Tuka cats, and that's coming from me. And I love Tuka cats and moth cats; like they are so damn cute. Um, something I found while looking into this episode that I probably should have mentioned when we covered the Mando, but I didn't have it at the time. Concept art initially depicted Peli Modo as an elderly woman wearing tattered clothing with a cow over her head. Personally, I'm happy they decided to go with Amy Sedaris because Peli is a gem and a national treasure. Also, Star Wars Rebels Sabine Rin gets an well, ender- Amy
1: Sedaris has got to be in her 60s now.
2: Yeah, but I'm glad the concept art mixer looks like looked like a frail old woman, and I uh-huh. like the kind of fiery take they took with her because she's a good, she's a good um, counter to Mando. Because can you imagine like a, because she brings so much energy to the show, and Mando is such like a straight man character that like if, a, if she was a frail little old lady, it would just drag. Yes. So I I, I like how they went with Sedaris on this one. Also, Star Wars Rebel Sabine Wren gets an indirect nod in this episode, which is cool, as the armorer discusses how the Darksaber came to Bogotan. The KX-series droids shown in the flashbacks of the destruction of Mandalore are the same model as K2SO in Rogue One. The N1 starfighter that Peli and Mando restore might be familiar to prequel fans as the ship is part of Naboo's royal fleet in The Phantom Menace and Padme Amidala had one of her own to fly. And finally, the droid that meets Din at the Mos Eisley spaceport is based on R-E-X. That's not what that said, hope can't read, is based on R-3-X or Rex from the Star Tours rides at Disney. Uh, you 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 know who would be really good at giving tours at Disney?
0: Yeah, Disney won't let let Yoda not allowed on the grounds of Disney anymore. What did you do? Nothing. Yoda did nothing, in a, it's a small world after all.
2: Oh, uh, you you know what? I don't want to know. Nothing. I'm good. Yeah, yeah.
0: Water in in uh, it, it's a small world after all. Perfectly fine, very clean.
2: Oh, get, get, uh, Hi, Yoda. How you doing? Ugh.
0: Very well.
2: Good, good. I am glad. Um, you know, Yoda, Christmas is or Life Day is coming.
0: Oh, Life Day, yes.
2: Yeah, and I was thinking I had the perfect gift idea for you.
0: For Yoda? Yeah. Yes likes gift ideas, so is for Yoda, I will write a book about that,
2: yeah. Well, I, when you read, but we already have Charles going to be your ghostwriter
0: ghost uh, Yes,
2: yeah. Charles is still on board for that
0: force uh, ghost writer
2: <laughs> Force ghostwriter, yes. um, so the idea I had actually came from this episode because Den made. Little Grogu his own set of chainmail, and wouldn't you like some chainmail when you love that?
0: Um, Yoda likes any mail, and will answer the mail. Likes pictures in mail. Send Yoda pictures in mail.
2: Well, we are always looking for listener questions. Which
0: chainmail if- is go- Is okay though too. You know, Yoda will will copy and pass on the mail.
2: You could um match Grogu's chain mail and look just like him.
0: Why is Grogu sending out mail? Nobody wants to talk to Grogu.
2: Oh, oh, no, of course nobody wants to talk to Grogu at all. He's he's uh, nobody.
0: Right, Grogu can't even talk. What does Grogu say? Right. right. Me, me, me 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 me? beep 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 Somebody, look, letter from Grogu. beep 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 the hell does that mean
2: I uh, uh, you know it, people some people might find it cute
0: oh BB b. yeah be, 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 be.
2: so, so you're saying so you're saying you don't want matching chain mail with Grogu for life day
0: you know wants his own chain mail okay does not want to share Grogu's chainmail.
2: Okay, well, also run your browser history to check for viruses before you send me anything, please.
0: Yoda does not know what you said, but okay.
2: Okay, well, we'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. I don't think you knew what I was saying.
1: I don't think, yeah, I don't think anybody like was having the same conversation. There
2: Absolutely <laughs> not. But uh, you know, I I would still say chain mill is uh, on the sometimes table. Sometimes that's
1: better with Yoda. It seems
2: like. <laughs> <Yeah>. right. Right. <laughs>
1: when he's lucid, it's kind of disturbing.
2: That is true. That is true. I'm also a little scared that we're gonna get a letter from Disney about it's the small it's a small world ride. I'm a little bit uh worried about that
1: well if we didn't get a letter for about yoda <laughs> they're both disney
2: <laughs> yeah that's true that's true though actually on the note of yoda like listeners we always love yoda questions so feel free to send us yoda questions either on our twitter page at jay and jedi or in the two true freaks facebook page and you can comment on this episode and leave us questions i will say i do not check older episodes for questions Um, because there's 344 of them. So, if you leave a question on an older episode, please just let me know so I know to go look for it. Because I don't actively check them because there's 344 episodes.
1: So, 24 hours in the day.
2: Exactly. And I will not do that. So, yeah, yeah. We always need Yoda questions. So, that's always true. All right. You ready to get into Act 1?
1: Um. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Are you sure? I think so. I think I'll make it.
2: (laughs) Please do. (laughs) Alright. Act 1. We open in a butcher shop where a bunch of dudes are doing menial labor and they're just like, oh, it's a small world after all, isn't it? Just making, making meat and cutting up meat and stuff like that. And in the doorway a familiar silhouette appears and the music goes woo woo a woo woo because it's everyone's favorite himbo single dad din jarren and then just like knocks on the door and he's just like hey everyone no one mind me i'm just a mandalorian to walk it through your place of business everything's fine i'm not sad i'm not a single dad anymore i'm not even a dad okay and so you like Everyone's like, all right, dude, can we help you? And he's like, where's your boss? And they're like, in the back. And he's like, okay, bye. And it's fine. So Den Den shuffles awkwardly into the back and he's like, hello, boss, dude. I'm here because I have a bounty on a person. And the dude is like, oh, well, there's no bounties here. Good sir. Can we help you show yourself out? See you later. And Den shows him the bounty puck. And it has the picture of the boss, dude. And the boss dude's like, you racist? We don't all look alike. That's not even me. I guess it'd be speciesist. He's like, you, you humans think we all look alike. That's not even for me. And then, going through his wonderful midlife crisis, is like, alright, I gotta be cool. Let me go back to my cool catchphrase of episode one. And he leans on the table and goes, I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. Did that sound cool? And the dude's like, no, that was that was a dumb catchphrase. <laughs> and Din's like, well, my son thought it was cool. And he fights everybody in the room. And Din has a brand new toy to play with because he has the darksaber now. And he has no fucking clue how to use it because he's just kind of uh, swinging around like a child in a target with a toy lightsaber. And he even cuts off a little bit of his own leg with it. It's not going great. Um, but you know, our dude gets it all together, and he beats up all the other lackeys, and he ends up brutally having having halving, halving. He cuts him in half. I can't say that word for tonight for some reason. Halving his target on the table. Halving. Having.
1: Halving. 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 halving.
2: Halving. Right? Halving. It sounds weird. It sounds weird. He cuts the dude in half. There we go. Wow! Just so you don't want
1: to linger on the L, you just want that L in there just a little bit. Halving. 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 Halving.
2: English is a stupid language, everybody. It's like if you
1: say two halves.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He brutally cuts the dude in half. Um... (laughs) There we go. English is a dumb language. So, anyway. And he... He cuts off the dude's head and he comes outside and all the workers kinda like back away like... Are you gonna kill us? And Den's like, uh, are you gonna kill me? And they're like, no. And he's like, cool. Well, there's a bunch of money on the table. Go get it. And all the people are like, money! And they run inside to get all the money. And Den, poor baby, limps out of there because he cut off part of his own leg with a dark saber. And and he's a little sad, empty nesting dad. And he sadly lumbers through the streets. And he's like, this would be a really cool spaceport, but I am missing my son. And actually, it is a really cool spaceport. I love this location. Um, And he heads back to the employer. (laughs) Pun, because he has a head. (laughs) And so he goes into a somewhat empty club. So it must be a Tuesday. And he goes up to the employer, and he's like, here's the head. I hope you don't get a head in life. And she's like, oh, you're one of those people. Okay, well, what can I help you with? I have another job for you. He's like, no, you agreed to show me where an empty shaft is to the lower levels of the station. I don't even want the money. And she was like, all right, well, if you don't want the money, he's like, no, I want the money. I'm very broke-ass. I'm a broke-ass bitch. Give me the money. And she tells him where the access shaft is, and he leaves. So then our poor daddy is like limping through the alleyways and he's all like, oh, I miss my baby. And when he gets there to the alleyway, he starts seeing a Mando trail, a trail of Mando markers, if you will. And he follows them and he goes inside and there is his old Colt with the armor and Paz Vizla waiting. And I'm going to end it there because the meat of the episode is like the next 15 minutes.
1: Yeah. Be it ever so humble, there's no place like cult.
2: <laughs> there's no place... Click like he clicks his heels, heels, heels. I can't talk fucking tonight. He clicks his heels and is just like, There's no place like cult. There's no place like cult. Why'd you think of Act 1?
1: It's good. Um, I'm just going to point out... A... This is why it's book of one reason why I'm gonna have many reasons why this is book of Boba Fett. This is a goofy episode, like this is almost has more like a, a book of Boba Fett feel. Interesting, because I would not is the call most, it
2: goofy. So first I first scene is I'm the intrigued. first.
1: The first scene is the the only real like kick ass. See, there's a little fighting later on, you know, like with the with the dark saber, but. It doesn't matter. It's it's ever it, it, even when he's being cool and Clint Eastwood, he's still like, oh, I just scraped my inner thigh off, you know. So
0: can, can he's, I just, ask a he's clarif- just being
1: a goofy himbo through this whole episode. He is just can like, I, oh, hey, oh, whoops. Oh,
2: <laughs> can can I ask a clarification question? Yeah. When you say goofy, do you mean like the pulpy comic book nature of the other episodes of Book of Boba Fett? Is that yeah. what you mean? Okay, just yeah. ma- just making sure because I hear goofy and I'm just like I didn't take it that way but I see it's, what you're saying like it's the pulpiness of it it was very different for
1: this was a very different episode for me than the second second time it was like the second the, the first or the, or it was different than the first time the, the the first time I was just like ooh you know I was like not expecting it and I was just like ah drinking in like this is Mandalorian we'll get you know but um, it, it, it's, he's, he's extra, good he's extra, like, himboy in, this. I mean, he's, this, this episode is just like, hey, look at this guy. And, and just, like, whacking him in the back of the head with the, with the dark saber going, I don't know, I don't think this guy's, <laughs> I think this is your guy, guys. <laughs> you know, he's just kind of too dumb to, to be a be the be the guy.
2: I don't know it, what guy you're talking about.
1: <laughs> huh?
2: I don't know what you're talking about. Like what The himbo. Guy? The himbo.
1: He's just like it's just like him just over and over being just like, "Oh, I oh, whoops, ow, my thigh. Oh, I it, okay, it, it so keeps getting saying. heavier." <laughs> you know, it's 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 just it's 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 like he doesn't He just doesn't get to be like, he doesn't get to be cool and tough in this, which is great because he is, he's going through, he's missing his his, his little green bamboo.
2: I'm going to piggyback on you on this one. Ready? Um, And a lot of that is because he is, and and I'll get more in this in act three with my notes um, because I I saved the majority of my book of Boba Fett notes for act three. But a big reason of that is because he is the foil book of uh, of Boba Fett. And being the foil of Boba Fett, they are on very similar but different paths. Where Boba is willingly taking responsibility for his new ch- choice and life, and what's been what he chooses to put upon him, Din has been forced all these responsibilities, and he is fighting them. And he is not wanting the responsibility of being the leader of Mandalore because all he cares about is like my son's gone. And so the reason that Dark- Saber is heavy is because he's fighting the responsibility of it and he's trying to run away, but he can't. And so they are both on the same path, but where Boba is willingly accepting it, Den is trying to actively run away from it and it's hindering him.
1: Yeah. And I think he's just not, he's just not that kind of person. He could become that kind of person someday like 20 years in his future though he needs to he he's he's a dufus you know he's he's like perfect in his own niche as the leader of mandalore i just don't see him being being the guy well, you know that's why
2: he's the, he's a good leader because the best leaders are the ones who don't want power because he's not going to abuse it
1: well no he doesn't but want they're it. also decisive and and stuff and he's he's just not a thinker he's not a thinker he's a he's an actor he would be he he would and and i don't know if he would be good leading an army or anything like even as a general i think he's good as just sort of on his own or you know like him and his him and a few buddies doing something but like he just doesn't seem like the kind i mean if it's his path towards that, it's a he's got a long path ahead of him. That's why. And, also and I think that's
2: the, the point. I think that's absolutely the point.
1: And I'm also saying that's why this is in an episode of the Book of Boba Fett. Although I'll get way more into that in the next part, uh, just to preview my my next notes is that, that that's why this is a Book of Boba Fett episode and not a Mandalorian episode. And, ev- and everything the Mandalorian does in this is just sort of like uh, almost like, you know, foreshadowing of <laughs> the uh, of the or, try, or, or just trying to tell you over and over again. It's not about this guy. It's not about this guy anyway. So anyway, the, and my my notes, what <laughs> are the things it didn't really take me out, but it's always shocked like weird and it's something that's working in a restaurant's part of my day to day. The walk-in cooler ribbons that he has to walk through at the beginning, it, j- just so totally earth, earth-like. You know, those are those are right out of a real walk-in. Co- those are just regular walk-in cooler. You know, I
2: almost have ribbons. the exact same note, almost. Um, um. So I'm going to go ahead and say one of my notes because it's almost the exact same. Um, I love seeing weird mundane places in star wars like in the martez sister arc in clone wars they own a laundromat and here we have a butcher shop and it's like those ribbons like it's such an earth thing and i love it because it does give it like a very real world connection but because it's run by clatoonians like it still feels very fantastical in star wars
1: well it's like even in star wars uh, there's really like not a better practical way to do that because you're 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 like pack in big pallets full of meat that you have to take in and out. And if you had a door, you'd have to crank it open and closed every time. You know, it would be a big pain in the ass. Whereas these will keep the cold in and you can just pass through them. So and and, and there'd be no reason it would be probably t- just too ridiculous to make it a force field or, so. you know, or something yeah. like that. You know, and it
2: looks cool to film, too. Like when when oh, yeah. cuts off the guy's head, like we know what's happening because we can see oh, yeah. the silhouette. Um, yeah. so it, it looks uh, I mean, really this has cool been in a,
1: they've used it in mafia movies before. It's just funny. It's just out of another whole thi- whole a whole genre. And uh, let's see. Uh, I love the uh, moth parrot person, moth parrot puppet that, that, that he brought the head to. It's like some some middle ground between like the the, the mothman prophecies and and, and a parrot um and my own uh, and like I just love how it's like why is he using it why is he using the dark saber in this it's just like that's just it's so doofy it's just like I'm gonna use my new toy and it's just like yeah it's how's that working for you you know it's, yeah. It's like use the stuff you're used to and, 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 you know, go practice it or something. But no, he can't wait. He's got a new, like, toy and he's just like, I'm going to be kick ass with my lightsaber. Oh, ow! <laughs> and, that, and they they made that one hurt, you know, as soon as you see that and where it is, it's just like, oh, ow. <laughs> yeah.
2: But right, uh, right, actually, not
1: right on the, the, like, one of the, like, thinnest skin parts on your leg, you know, it's just nasty.
2: Yeah. That's actually a good segue because that's close to another one of my notes too. So I'll go ahead and do it. Is that all your notes so I can segue you into mine? Um
1: my only other note is I like the 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 the, the, the placey is because it's it's reminds me of the Gerard K. O'Neill space colonies that are you know, they're a big loop that like rotates for gravity.
2: Yeah. And, uh, I love that location, too. I I had that noted as well.
1: It was just a beautiful atmosphere, the whole atmosphere to it. And like this places where you could just drop off into space, you know, if you fell off the catwalk and stuff. It was it was really neat.
2: And also, like I have um, along with that, the one long shot of him delivering the head the the head it's just one shot and it's just really well done like he gets on the elevator goes up to the thing goes in they have the conversation and he goes out like it's a very nice like one long yeah. shot so yeah um to touch on my den with the lightsaber with the dark saber um i love that they showed that he just has no idea how to wield it like, I think part of it is, like, he knows it's powerful because he fought Moth Gideon, so he he's like, oh, it's like a sword. It's not like a sword. <laughs> it has no weight to the blade, um, which we learn in Star Wars Rebels. Like, there is no weight to the blade. So it's just like, good luck, don't cut yourself. And he does. And part of that is just, I, I like how it kind of backhandedly shows the skill of the Jedi or the Sith. like Because someone who, who knows how to wield a normal sword cannot wield a lightsaber without training because they just don't know how to use it well so i i, think, I really I like think that
1: jedi can like i mean you know people who do art or anything you know they'll say their their instruments and their tools and stuff become an extension of their hand but i think the de- jedi do it on a deeper level with their lightsabers you know so you know, the, the the blade doesn't need any weight for them to sense it because it's an extension of themselves, you know, mm-hmm. uh, ideally, <laughs> you know, if you're if you're using one correctly. And I think that's what the armorer was trying to tell him too. just like, hey, you know.
2: Yeah. And it like it almost gives because, of course, there's a kyber crystal in there and the kyber crystal is attuned to the force. But it almost gives a sentient quality to the dark saber as well. Like the dark saber knows that he's fighting it. Um, so it makes itself heavy, which is which gives it a very mythical feeling mm-hmm. to the blade. And, um, and,
1: and people do that to like cars and, and machinery and stuff. you know you, you gotta treat you gotta treat old Bessie, you know you gotta you gotta give Bessie a light touch or she won't or she'll stall out on you, you know.
2: Yeah. Um, and I, I will definitely have more about um, the mythical quality of the Dark in, in the next act. Um, my, my only other small note is I really like the nice touch of how they mix the book of Boba Fett theme song with the Mando theme song with the opening credits. Like that was, that was a really cool moment. Yeah. Um, and my only other note that I have is I'll, I'll go into more of this in act two, but I do just want to note it here because it gets us started. Um, thematically the ties of Den and Boba. Because when they are both lost, and we talked about this um, in the last few episodes with Boba, they both fall back on their old habits because they're still trying to figure out how to change. Like, Boba did this when he, when he sought out the wrong revenge on the Swoop Gang. And Din doesn't know what else to do, so he falls back on bounty hunting because that's, that's all he has. And, like, the, the part that stuck out to me the most was when he uses his catchphrase. Because in episode one, it's really cool. Because Den knows who he is. Us as the audience are seeing him for the first time. And it just sounds really cool and pulpy. But here, it's almost awkward because he's lost. And it just sounds weird. Because even the Clatoonian kind of looks at him like, did you just say that to me? Like, what did you just say? And it sounds weird because Den's just not in that episode one place anymore. He's in a completely different place in his life, and I, I like that he's trying so hard to fall back on these old habits, but it's just not working for him. And I, yeah, I just I, I like that. And yeah, I'll he's limping get...
1: away from everything.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, but I'll definitely get more into that in the later acts about but about all the parallels between Den and Boba because this is very much a book of Boba Fett episode. I agree with that. Um, so yeah. But that's all I have for Act 1. Did you have anything else?
1: No, I'm ready for Act 2. Act 2 is the, the the bulk of my notes.
2: That's, like, almost all my notes. Ex- well, actually, they're about even between 2 and 3.
1: Yeah, so. actually, uh, I got a few more in 2, but, like, yeah, I got a good amount for 3, too.
2: Yeah, so... <clears throat> act 2. So the armorer turns around and sees Dan, and she's just like, Oh, look what the ticket cat dragged in! You look not great are you okay and din just falls over in pain and she's like oh oh no uh paz visla you want to like put a band-aid on that so paz Vizla comes over and starts patching him up and the armor is like what the fuck happened to your leg and din pulls out the dark saber and like paz's eyes get really big and he's just like my precious my precious, is that my family weapon? That's my best column impression I tried. Uh, He's like, is that my family weapon? Oh my god! And Din gives the armorer the dark blade, and she's just like, oh, you know what time it is? And he's like, please don't say a monologue. She's like, it's time to monologue! So this is, like, a really important thing to Mandalore, and the person who wields it rules Mandalore, and, um... You know, you have to be, like, really deserving if it's just given to you, <coughs> Bo-Katan, <coughs> the weapon is a curse. And then you'll destroy Mandalore, Bo-Katan. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, uh, so I-, I delivered my child to his kind, and my quest is over. And she's like, oh, that's nice. Well, welcome home. You're back in the, the covert now. But Paz is looking on super shady. And so later on, like Paz and Den are hanging out, and they're setting up the forge, and Paz is like, "So, how did you find my dark I mean, the lightsaber. It's not like I'm entitled to it or anything. It's not like it's my family heirloom, and my ancient, you know, ancestor thousands of years ago made the dark saber, and his name is Tarvisla, and I've worshipped him my entire life." And like, okay, well, I, uh, I disarmed Moff Gideon, and that's how I got it. And Paz is like, yeah, but did you kill him? And Den's like, no, the New Republic will kill him. Should that matter? And is, Paz is like, ha, should it matter? Ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha, And Den's like, okay, you're weird. I forgot how weird you were, dude. Okay, anyway, hey, Armor, welcome. We got your forge set up for you. And she's like, oh, great. You want to hear more about Mandalorian lore? Because I'm gonna just going to talk about it because there's a new age of Mandalorians coming up because of this, like, big, you know, um, prophecy of our cult. And she's just like, he's like, cool. <laughs> and she's like, okay, so where'd you get the spear? Because it can pierce Beskar, and that's no bueno. We need to make it not that. And he's like, oh, well, uh, You can have the spear. Uh, So, do you you know Bo-Katan? Like, I I met her and she, like, took off her helmet and stuff. And that was very weird for me. What do you know about Bo-Katan? And as the armor starts melting down the spear, she pretty much goes through the events of Clone Wars and Rebels. But it's very careful. Because she gives not really any context or details. And she says a lot of, like, heightened propaganda words. That basically say that to her, Bocatan sucks, and it's Bocatan's fault that Mandalore is gone. She's very careful about it, and and Den's like, "Huh. It's kind of not what I found out, but uh, but we're having a real sad flashback now as we uh watch uh Mandalore get destroyed. So I guess there's some truth in this. So yeah, and she's like, "So what do you want me to make out of the spear?" And he's like, please make armor for my Grogu because he's my baby boy and I love him. And he's with the really hot teacher, Luke Skywalker. And I I want to ask him out on a date, but I don't know if he would accept. Do you think Jedi like flowers? I don't know, but I want to send a care package to my son at school. Can you make that? And she's like, why? Why do do you want to make it for Grogu? He's like, because he's my son! She's like, oh... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay, I'll, I'll make it for you. And she makes cute little teeny tiny chain mail, and it's adorable. So uh, later then, we get another kind of passive of time, and we're essentially getting a shortened version of Trials of the Darksaber, which, you know, is a really good episode, and if you haven't seen it, it really gives a lot of background on like how the Darksaber functions. It's in Rebel, so go watch it. And essentially what's happening is that Din is trying to learn how to use the darksaber so he doesn't cut off his own leg again. But the blade is strangely getting heavier when he uses it. And the armor is like, uh, yeah, because you're fighting it, dude. Just like, let it be. You know, as the Beatles say, let it be. And Paz just like slinks out of the shadows, full golems. And he's like, the dark saber is my precious. I challenge you. <clears throat> I challenge you in combat, Din Djarin. And the, t- and the armor is like, oh, combat, let me get some popcorn. And she like shuffles on out of there and comes back with her popcorn. She's like, all right, guys, fight to the death. I'll watch. And she like opens up like the little food part of her helmet so she can eat her popcorn through her helmet. That's really cool. And so Den and Paz fight it out. And at one point, Paz even gets the blade. But like Den, it actually burdens him more and makes it harder for him to fight. So after Din gets manhandled a little bit, he beats Paz. And the Armorer calls off the fight because Din has won. Though he does not win with the Darksaber. Which I thought was going to be a bigger deal, but it's not. And the Armorer is like, Paz, have you ever removed your helmet? And Paz is like, no, I'm true for the cult. And she looks at Din and she's like, Din, have you ever removed your helmet? And Din starts immediately sweating like, ha <laughs> ha! story so uh so i had to rescue my baby and i had to sneak into an imperial prison and i had to take it off then but it was for a job and nobody saw me but mayfield and he swore to never tell anybody which is why i'm telling you which does not make sense and then i also took it off to to say goodbye to my son and so the hot jedi could see my face and so the hot jedi could hopefully be like oh wow that's a hot dad and then i was like oh do you think he's hot grogu and grogu's like dad i'm about to leave forever why are you asking me if your boyfriend is hot he's like yeah yeah go like kiss up to your teacher son and then i put my helmet back on and like nobody else saw me but bo-katan and Moff gideon and cara dune and finnick shand and um sasha banks just a few people. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. I can put the helmet back on. <laughs> please forgive me. Please, please forgive me. I promise to be a good Mandalorian from here on out. And the armor is like, whoa, dude. Um, yeah, you, you got to get out of here, man. Uh, that's a lot. And you're kind of killing our vibe so uh you obviously have done a lot more outside of the cult stuff and you're not welcome here anymore and he's like but i don't have anywhere else to go how do i come back And she's like, well, let me tell you some bullshit. Apparently, if you do something in the waters, the living waters under the mines of Moria or whatever, or Mandalore or whatever, then you can redeem yourself. And he is like, uh, A, I don't know what that means. And B, aren't the mines all destroyed? And she just kind of shrugs and goes, it's not my problem, bitch. Get out. So now, Din is all sad. And he has a new fetch quest for season three. And he hangs his head and picks up his dark saber and just kind of lumbers on out of there. What do you think of act two? That
1: was good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think it's going to really, um, I, I think the armor knew that he removed his helmet
2: I I think just hanging on
1: to the hanging on to that till they got to that point so she could kick him out and to to like, depending on who was going to win the dark saber. But like she just uh, comes out all of a sudden like, all right, helmets, helmets. How's that? How's that going? And like he could have easily lied. And he probably but like, I think she knew. (laughs) And I think she knew he would answer honestly and you know and because she would i think she knew thought knew rightly that he would take it as she's just like a little supernatural you know you can't get one over on the on on the head of the cult you know she's she knows you, he broke his thing by taking his helmet off but
2: the, that, the that that means
1: somehow she has some some communication with Bo-Katan or something, you know. No, no,
2: no. Actually, I like that's what I, I was trying to say. I think the Bo Katan thing is the thing that tipped her off. Because um, like for all the crap she's that skews, could be,
1: yeah, yeah, that could yeah, be. Yeah, like because totally be. he
2: brought up Bo Katan, not her. And when he brought up Bo Katan, I think that's when she goes, Oh, he has changed and my propaganda ca- crap's not gonna work on him anymore. And so she sends him away because. He's not on his path anymore, but I, I think, I think that's what it is. Cause like he, there's no indication. And well, that in Grogu, you know, like he's clearly not the person he was in like Episode One when he like walks into the covert. Like he is drinking in like all the rituals. He's very reverent, and he shows up. He's like, so can you turn this spear into chainmail? Because I miss my son. Also, who is Bo-Katan and tell me everything. And that tells her. He has knowledge now outside of me. I can't control this anymore, and that means he more than likely has broken his creed. Especially if he's met who who is just like, let me just take off my helmet. So like that. Yeah, that's well, he I'll never
1: fix- says he met her. He's just like, you know, he's just like, what about Bo-Katan? And she's like, this is Bo-Katan. So there's still play. He's all so she. Pro- but she figures out he met her because he's playing a game of like he doesn't want to say that he met her. And she goes along with it and just like, okay, she doesn't say, oh, you met Bo-Katan. She goes, oh, yeah. Bo-Katan is this and this and this. And so they're all, just they, they've got a little little Mexican standoff ha- happening right exactly. there. Exactly. You know?
2: But like, he's clearly not the person he was in season one when he first right. came to her. And I think she recognizes that right away, which is why she's like, so helmets, everybody, helmet check. Because <laughs> he, she, he, she can't control him anymore. Like her propaganda doesn't work anymore.
1: Um all right my notes exposition heavy but it's fine nice n- n- because there's just beautiful visuals and atmosphere with all the the exposition
2: Oh yeah that's a and, gorgeous scene like is yeah. it's gorgeous and heavy and I I will come back to that
1: I'll just like basically in black and orange you know the, or like the really only two colors going on there it's amazing um i'm doing all and and it has a nice uh nice little nod to the terminator there and there uh i like where she basically tells him you're too dumb for a lightsaber <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she,
2: she just basically
1: him. says she it you know just head
2: with her hammer like she gives him a little bop on the head with the hammer
1: <laughs> yeah hey dumb dumb um i love when they when when they drop the dark saber and take it off the floor. That the floor is just like red hot in this little area. It looks really cool. Um, and that Din-, Din wins the fight as soon as he stops using the dark saber.
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> as as he
1: he could have he not used the dark saber in the first place and just said, "Let's well, fight." And then no, he the can't. Guy. He
2: has to use the dark saber, which is why what? I noted it. Like, because like um, it's a fight for the dark saber, so he has to defend it. But the thing is, is that um, I think that's also the point, because at one point Paz picks up the Darksaber and it hinders him. Like, you can see it's heavy for him and he's having trouble swinging mm-hmm. it because he's fighting it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's the entire point. But like, that's that was the whole thing between Pre and Darth Maul was they were fighting for the Darksaber. It's a duel with the saber. So um,
1: I, I think they're going to do the Darksaber like Excalibur. There's not gonna be any like, oh, Din all of a sudden you go into the I think they're setting it up to make it feel like Din's gonna go into the underground, you know, and meet the myth the mythical mythosaur <laughs> and 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 redeem himself and then like start whipping the the Darksaber around. I don't think that's how it's gonna work. I think the Darksaber is gonna get in the right hands it's gonna it's gonna be similar to when thor's hammer falls into um
0: captain what's america's. in the
1: captain america's hand you know since so somebody's gonna pick it up and 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 my bets are on grogu or boba fett probably boba fett and be just like woo, is it b- 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 b-? hey feels like a part of me you know so that's
2: interesting i think i think it's gonna be Den, but i think it's something he has to grow into
1: yeah, I don't. Um, I I think that I think that that's I think that that's gonna be I think they that's I think that's what the, I think that's what they want us to believe. Oh, but I, I think that's what they.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it could go either way. Like, it really could go between dinner and bubble fat. Like, it really I, could. Yeah, I, um. I think. On, on your Excalibur note, I'm gonna slide in one of my notes because it's kind of similar. Um, there is a very mythical quality of the Dark Saber. You brought up Excalibur for me. It reminded me of the One Ring. Um, I said it's the One Ring of Mandalorians because everybody who becomes within the One Ring's power is like, oh my God, that's my precious. But it's interesting for Paz because that is actually his ancestor's weapon. Like he is a Vizsla, and it was forged by Tar Vizsla, right. so like, he actually does have a bit of claim to it. But that's very much the point of the Bo-Katan story of like, Bo-Katan came from a powerful family; she had a claim over it as well because she was a bloodborn Mandalore. And um and so I, I just thought that was very interesting because it does like the moment Paz sees it, like when Den when first pulls it out, you can tell he's just like, I know what that is and it's mine. And like yes. Paz becomes obsessed with it. Like he starts asking Den about it, he's like, Where did you get the Darksaber? And then like he challenges Den. Like it it has like a one ring effect for him. Um Well, which, I mean, if I you were
1: even if you were uh even if you were a cult Mandalorian i mean that's just mandalorian culture exactly i mean family and shit like that is super important so yeah yeah like i think anybody who would their family whatever would be really important
2: yeah and that's that's kind of why it's like the one ring effect because it doesn't matter who gets it as like like all the mandalorians except for sabine because when sabine first finds the dark saber she's just like oh what's this (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> And then, then Kanan's the one that's like, oh, that's the Darksaber. Let me take this to Finn Rao. We need to have a talk about it. <laughs> uh, which I actually thought was funny because Sabine didn't know what it was at first. But I, I actually like how they played all the stuff with Tar Vizla, uh, and Not Tar, uh, with Paz Vizla as well. Because it's played two very different ways. And it all comes through the acting and the dialogue. Because for an average Star Wars fan, the way the acting, the dialogue plays, we get they get an idea of like, oh, we don't need to know all the details, but we understand this is a very important thing. But for deep diving fans like us, we know this is Paz's family heirloom and why it's important. So I thought that was interesting that they I think they balanced it well to where like average Star Wars fans understand it. But they also put in enough like little Easter eggs for deep diving fans like us. So anyway, continue your notes. Those are all my one rings. Um,
1: okay, I have a bunch of short notes and then uh, then my major note. I love I love riding on a bus. Getting on the bus. It's more like a bus and a jetliner too, because it's 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 a lot roomier than a than a plane for sure.
2: <laughs> I I love that he I because I, I have the bus for act three, but since we're here, I just love that Den has to check the Darksaber and the baggage claim. That's fucking hilarious and it might be one of my favorite things in star wars that he puts the fucking dark saber in baggage claim there's <laughs> he no, no the choice guy.
1: he's just like I, I
2: of course he does though of course he's he's just he's like i'm a broke-ass bitch let me put the dark saber in a baggage claim <laughs> it's hilarious it, that's it's... comedy gold it...
1: It's a very Western trope. There's a, there's a very good short, um, scene like that also in one of the mad Matt in the Mad Max beyond Thunderdome movie, where he has to, where he's going into town, he has to give up his weapons and he's just like, ah, no. And they're like, yeah, I'm gonna make him. and he just sits there like plopping, you know, <laughs> this after this, after this, you know, moving down his body, down to his feet, you know, and pulling the knives out of his boots and stuff. Um. Uh, la la la. Uh, oh, I, um. Little reference to Dune with that little vibrating blade. There's that uh, they have stuff. They got stuff like that in That's the, Dune. the
2: uh, yeah. That's the key uh Mando weapon too. The vibro blades.
1: Vibro blades. Okay. So we get okay. Here's i think my this is where i i finally started it started to click with me in here this episode is so exposition heavy and like story setting ups heavy and it's the mandalorian and he's it's it's it feels like it's setting up season three right you know this is this is a way to set up season three and get a little in in you know um um, uh, not affinity, whatever, you know, with 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 the two shows and maybe prop up the the ratings and stuff. But actually, like a lot of people are like, oh, they just put the Mandalorian in there because Boba Fett was doing it. it's like, no, you dummy. The shows were already done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they were like, oh, we better make a, sh- a Mandalorian show and plop it in there. There were people that actually were acting like that. That could happen with this.
2: That's funny because that's kind of, that's my criticism and it's an act three. So keep going.
1: um, So you got, so I I realized this during the, the, um, when, when the armor is talking about the dark saber and Mandalore and stuff, I'm like, okay, she's telling this to Din Djarin, but we're in Boba Fett show, you know, and everybody there's always just been like, okay, this is entertaining and i can see sort of why you could say it but why did they do this why did they do this because that exposition is important to boba fett book of boba fett and even though it is in it, it is, is given in the it's easier to get it's way easier to give that information through the mandalorian 'Cause he's got the armor, he's got Bo Katan, he's got characters who could tell him that story where Boba Fett does not, but they wanna have it in the Book of Boba Fett show because everything that happens in the everything that happens in the show with the Darksaber is go, is gonna be someday there's gonna be a Book of Boba Fett episode and you know at the beginning where they do a little montage of all the past episodes, it might have something to do. Just to remind you, like, oh, remember this character? There's gonna be one of those that has the armor talking about the Darksaber and stuff. And then it's gonna be a Book of Boba Fett episode without the Mando in it, you know, or about the Dark or maybe the Mando will be in it, but it'll be about him and the Darksaber. There there's I just I there's a reason that all this is being done in The stuff that's really like the prep for like Mandalorian season three is all in the next act. This, these two acts, this act, uh, this act actually is the one that's like, this is why it's in Book of Boba Fett and not somewhere else. This is all going to come back to, to Boba's story and... And and they're putting it in here to keep so that you don't have to be like, wait, I didn't watch this show, you know? <laughs> well, how is this happening? You know, how am I supposed to know this? This happened. This happened in the Mandalorian, so they put it in the book of Boba Fett. And it also was. They were like, you know what? Synergy. That's the word I was looking for. It also had the synergy of, 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 you know. Fill it, giving people something a little Mandalorian while they wait for season three, and uh, yeah, yeah. And it's a li- it's a little awkward, but I think it's a little awkward because it's necessary for the future. And if if and and all the stuff that it's so heavy with the dark saber myth that like if if it was had to do with Din being the wielder of the dark saber it would be in the mandalorian and not in the book of boba fett so that's that's my that's that's my main gist of why this is a full-on boba fett episode
2: interesting because that that very much answers my criticism of this episode And, and it's not really this episode it's the next few episodes um
1: that's all my notes by the way
2: You know, I I was going to save this for Act 3, but I'm going to go ahead and do this now because it relates to now. um, But it also relates to like next episode as well. And honestly, this is a criticism I have more for next episode. I don't actually mind it as much here, but it is all kind of tied together. Um, And I'm just going to say everything you just said did kind of change my thoughts a little bit about how I feel but I, So I'm just going to go ahead and read my notes, but just know now it's, like, old information. <laughs> because I think that's a very interesting point. Um, I do have a lot of mixed feelings about this episode and the next episode in the middle of Book of Boba Fett. Um, because it, m- mostly it has to do with not this, because I think this very thematically does tie in with Boba Fett. It's more of the reunion of Den and Grogu that I, I have a sticking point with. Um because I feel like their reunion should be in their show, not in here. And the reason I I feel this way is I know people who have zero who had zero interest in watching Book of Boba Fett, but they love Mandalorian. And to me, it feels like very corporate, neat, like a very icky corporate move to like where they were like, let's put the the we have to put Grogu and Mando in Book of Boba Fett because it's not going to carry itself. Um, Because, like, the Den and Grogu episodes take up almost a third of the show. Because they're two out of seven episodes, which is almost a third. Um, And I probably wouldn't have minded as much if Book of Boba Fett was longer, like Andor. Because then it wouldn't be so glaring. Um, For me, though, like... Especially because we've talked the last few weeks. Or actually, I should say I talked the last few weeks. You don't have a problem with this. I've talked the last few weeks about my pacing and timing issues. Where I wish more time was given to like the mods and Finnick Shand and like smoothing out those character stuff. When we have two whole episodes around Den and Grogu, when I was really wanting more of the new characters to so they gel better. Um and it it sometimes feels like Den is almost stealing Boba's spotlight spotlight in his own show, even though that they are thematically linked. Um but even then, it's not really this episode. It's more of the next episode that I feel this because the next episode just feels so out of place in a Book of Boba Fett show because it's all about Grogu and Luke. And I don't know. That's the why I don't understand. Like this, I can understand because Den and Boba are two sides of the same coin. I get all this. And especially now what you said about how it could be setting up for Boba getting the the Mandalorian Darksaber. That all makes sense. But when we get to next week's episode, where it's and and then like the finale where Den and Grogu are reunited and stuff like that, I'm like, why is that not in their main show? Because that feels like that's the place that that should be. And so I feel it a little bit in this episode, but I feel it even more next week and then the finale. They're back together again, and I could the see o- The someone... only
1: reason I've been able to come up with in my head is there's going to be a time jump, so they want to they they you know so they w- want the in inst- just when it jumps ahead in time, they don't have to explain how the why they're back together again,
2: yeah. But and, that and that it could be
1: me... done in a quick flashback, which,
2: yeah, so. it just so like that just feels weird to me, um, in general. Because, and, and I don't, I don't want to under I love this episode, like, I'll go and tell you my rating, it's a 9.5, like, I love this episode, but like, this is the one thing that I always felt like a little bit weird about with this episode and the next episode of, like, especially in the next episode, like, why isn't it in Book of Boba Fett? Because if someone just, compl- if Joe Schmo Star Wars fans, just, like, I'm not interested in Boba Fett, and skips this episode and goes from Mando Season 2 to Mando Season 3, they're going to be hella confused. And it feels like there's a there's an underlining little corporate thing of just, like, oh, well, then go back and watch Book of Boba Fett, and you'll know all the answers, which always makes me feel icky. Um, I, I, I'm, like, that just makes me feel icky. But um but I, I do think it's interesting what you were saying that this is here to set up Boba Fett's story. I think that's a very fascinating point that I need to muse on a little bit more because that's interesting, Chris, and I need to think about that some more. But that that's really my only criticism of this episode, to be perfectly honest. Like that is my criticism. Um, is I'm I I have a lot of mixed feelings about Den taking up so much of Boba Fett's time and especially the Grogu stuff next week which I'm sure I'll touch on again next week, but I wanted to kind of get this kind of big note out of the way because Den and Grogu take up a lot of the last three episodes in the Boba Fett show, and I have a lot of mixed feelings about that. But that said, it's all really good stuff. It's really good stuff. This is the best episode of the season, hands down, but it's the best episode of the season, and Boba Fett's not even in it, which is also kind of a problem. (laughs) Boba Fett's not even in the episode, and it's the best episode of the season.
1: I, I'm definitely, definitely in disagreement over best episode of the season.
2: I I mean, for me, it's probably tied for episode two for best episode, but huh. for completely different reasons for me. For me personally, I'm talking so far
1: me. so far, but we're still I mean, I know
2: I remember next week and I'm not a fan of next week. Like I but again, I've only seen it once, so I need to see it. And I remember the finale being good, but not great. But again, I need to see it again. Um, But like this episode was always like cemented in my brain of like this is really good, and the following episodes never le- lived up to it. So on, on my rewatch watch so far, this is the best episode of the season. So anyway, what else are your notes?
1: That's all I got.
2: Oh well, I'm just gonna go straight down because my notes are a mess, and my Djarin note has six subpoints. Here we go. <laughs> So this whole talk, <coughs> I just inhaled air. I mean, I want to inhale air, but it went down wrong. <coughs> oh, sorry. Um, so a lot of this is actually makes me really excited for Mando season three. I think it's really fascinating how the armor talks to Jen and what information she shares with him. Because... We have two sides of a story. One is Bo-Katan's and one is the Armorer. And they're both very unreliable narrators. Super unreliable narrators. And they both have very different thoughts about Mandalore. Because the Armorer thinks that Mandalore is a wasteland. And Bo-Katan in season two of Mando disagreed. And she was like, no, Mandalore is still there. It's still there. We just have to go get it. And so, like, I find that really interesting. Because we don't know which Mandalore that den's going to find. You know, I, I do think we, we have to assume that there are some truth in the flashbacks. There has to be some truth in the flashbacks. We see well, it
1: could be it could be some some combination of both two or neither to exactly. You know I mean? That's
2: that's what I'm saying, because well, I, I don't think it's a neither. I disagree with that because we see I'm just saying
1: it, that's a possibility. That it's, it's a possibility. But yeah, it's probably going to be some
2: because that combination
1: don't... of both of their point of views.
2: Exactly. And that's what's gonna be interesting to see which one's the true one. Because the dome that we see get destroyed, that's the capital city. Like we, yeah. we can assume and we've seen this in the season three trailer that the capital city is destroyed. So we just don't know how destroyed. And the the and Bo Katan is very straightforward about it. And she's like, No, there's no Mandos on Mandalore. While the armor is like, No, there are no Mandos on Mandalore. It's a wasteland. But she's very she she talks about how her Mandos are almost like the true Mandos because she is like, well, our cult was on this moon of whatever and we're the true Mandalores and only the people who didn't lose their way survived. So it's almost like she is saying like only the the right Mandalores super- right, right. survived. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting to see what Mandalore we get when Den actually arrives there. And I think that's going to be a really fascinating part of season three. But it's also how the armor Tells Din about Bo-Katan and Mandalore, she speaks in a lot of her very fluffy purple prose riddles of just using all these culty words about describing real events, but she doesn't give context. And she very purposely describes Bo-Katan as a very negative person. And like, I'm not here to defend Bo-Katan. She started off as a villain, and she is very much the grayest of gray characters. But... We can see that the Armorer is trying to manipulate Din to her side of the story. But Bo-Katan did the exact same thing. She actively manipulated Din to get him to help her. So they're both trying to get Din under their power, especially now that he has the Darksaber and is the leader of Mandalore. And it's very interesting because... Again, we will we won't know until we actually get to season three for Din to make his own story. But that like all that together makes season three very fascinating to me and it makes me very excited.
1: I don't know if they'll well, they're definitely going to Mandalore.
2: Yeah, we know that from the trailer.
1: I'm I, I, I'm not sure how much they will resolve because I don't know. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting.
2: And I also got a very wild harebrained headcanon. You wanna know my hairbrain my hair head headcanon that I got? That's
1: what we're here for, isn't it?
2: <laughs> and and it and it hit me because we have this mysterious sibling of Satine and Bo-Katan. And the reason we know this is because of Corky cries. Corky was Satine's nephew, but we know that Bo-Katan is not Satine, not not Corky's mother. So then you know, we, we joked about this when we were talking about um how people think that Corky is the long lost son of Obi Wan and Satine. but she never claimed him as his son to protect him because Kenobi was Obi Wan was a Jedi, but Corky actually looks a lot like Obi Wan. Like there's a whole like thing there. But it hit me of like the way that the armor talks about Bo Katan sounds almost personal. And it makes me think, what if she's the lost sibling and Corky is her son?
1: Maybe. Maybe. Maybe
2: because she talks very specifically about how they came from a powerful family and they lost their way of being Satine and the Bo-Katan felt like she had the right to claim Mandalore and the armorer was like, well, but my way was right. But if they swayed her son, Corky away from her to their side and Corky sided with them, like there's a lot of anger there. And so like my wild hair braided scheme is the armor is actually Satine and Bo-Katan's sister. <laughs>
1: cults have been formed over less
2: yep 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 i mean hell that's what bo katan did she was like my sister's a pacifist i'm gonna go join a terrorist group right then. right so right um also very culty paz caused in an apostate when they go to throw him out of the mando cult club
1: he's been just he's been waiting to do that he was just like yes
2: i get to I, use I this word I learned this word in the New York Times word of the day calendar and I finally I've get to been use it. Just
1: waiting. Just waiting.
2: Okay. So here's my massive, like, six sub point Din Djarin note. <laughs> I'm just going to go through them point by point. Okay. And pause between points. Um, so I love character wise that when he is without Grogu and the Razor Crest, and I talked about this a little bit in Act One. Din chooses to fall back on his old ways. He of course becomes a bounty hunter again. He wants to find another Razor Crest, which we'll get into act 3, but he also seeks out his old cult because it's comfortable and it's familiar and it keeps his mind off the pain of losing his son. And but it's more than, sorry I have to read my, I have to read and talk at the same time. It's also more than that. But it's also more than that too because he can't fully go back to his old ways. Like, he's just, as I said, he's not the person he was in episode one, which the Armorer has picked up on, because he wants the armor to make armor for Grogu. Because he wants to protect his kid, even if he can't be with his kid. And the Armorer is like, uh, your mission is complete, why do you fucking care? And he's like, because I care, and I want to go see him, and he's my little friend, and he's my baby, I'm going to go see him. And she's like, uh-huh. And... It's very much Den at a crossroads. Like this is the Crossroads episode for Dinjarin. He sees that he can't go back to his old life. Like that's just not an option anymore. And there like he knows too much about other Mandalorians, he knows too much about other things and he has broken his code to the cult. And this is where I really love the representation of the spear cuz I talked about this in season 2 of Mando about how the spear is very much a representation of Den. It started off as a weapon, just how Den was essentially a weapon for the cult because he would go out, do bounty hunters, bounty hunting, and then bring them back his money. That's all he was to them. He wasn't a person. He was a weapon and a means to an end. But in season two of Mando, Den is completely stripped down. The moment that Grogu comes into his life, it changes everything, and Den gets completely stripped down just like how the spear is melted down and reformed and the spear becomes armor, a symbol of love and protection. And while we don't know where Den's going to go from this crossroads into his future, he is very much being reforged as well. A lot of these situations are out of his own hands Like, he had no control over Grogu coming to his life. He had no control of the job placed on him to take Grogu back to the Jedi. He had no control over any of this. But now he has a choice to either go back to being a bounty hunter and a weapon... Or like the armor that was forged for Groku. To become the protector. And I think that's going to be his role going forward. He's going to grow and learn how to be a protector of Mandalore. As he makes himself into a reforged new Mandalorian. And we get that a little bit in the finale of this show. Because he chooses to protect Tatooine with Boba Fett and Finnick. He chooses to take on that protector role. And it's just a glimpse of like what we're going to see in his future. And... It's not perfect because he immediately tries to backslide. The first thing he does when he says that he's taken off his helmet is beg. He begs for forgiveness. He begs to be taken back because it's not that he fears not being a Mandalorian. He's fearing the change that he's on. And like I said in Act 1, he doesn't want to, res- to take on this responsibility. He doesn't want the responsibility. He doesn't want to be the leader of Mandalore. He doesn't want any of this. And there's also a part of him that he just doesn't know who he is anymore because in episode one when he is just like he uses his catchphrase he knows who he is he doesn't have like really a lot of autonomy he's just doing this life for this cult but now he has all this new knowledge of things outside of himself and it scares him and he doesn't know what to do with it and he is he doesn't know who he is which is why the starship in the next act is so fucking important because he's essentially building a new life because he is forming an identity because he's lost the only identity he had, which was this cult. That that was his identity, and he's lost it now. And he has no choice but to move forward on his own. Because now, like, and of course he gets his new fetch quest for season three, and that's going to be part of it as well. But I think in the fetch quest where it's different from season two is he's going to start realizing, like, no, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to be that kind of Mandalorian. I want to be my own kind of Mandalorian, just like Boba Fett. Boba Fett's figured out the kind of Mandalorian he is. I'm gonna do that as well. And so like this entire episode is about change. Like, and, and so, same thing with this show. Boba is very much on a journey of change that he chose. For Den, he's about figuring out how change that's been thrust upon him, how to figure it out and take on the responsibility to be the best version of himself, which is the journey he's on. That's my long ass in journal note. <laughs> okay any thoughts
1: i think you're right i just wish us characters were on journeys to be their best self why because i don't think that's i think that's nice in real life i don't think it's it's uh the greatest storytelling all the time it's just used too much
2: Well, I mean, he's the hero. He's on the hero's journey. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, I think the hero's journey's
2: (laughs) (laughs) overused. I think the the
1: hero's journey is a little bit, it's, you know. But. But,
2: But I think that's why Boba's so fascinating, though, because we see Boba actively making a lot of wrong choices. Den hasn't actually made a lot of wrong choices. He's just kind of falling ass up through life.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's, yeah.
2: And I think that's why they're so fascinatingly different. Because Den is a himbo, and I mean that with the most love. But he just kind of tumbled into responsibility and now has to figure out what to do with it. Boba Fett is actively trying to find the responsibility. And he fucks up repeatedly, and he makes the wrong choice, and he backslides a lot in the last few episodes but he's starting to get an idea of who he is
1: Din, Din is-, is basically a teenage dad working at the supermarket just in over his head and and just do just like his voice is still changing he doesn't know what's going on
2: but that to me is like the fascinating part about den though is that he's so reluctant to his own detriment like we've seen, Den be brilliant. We see him be an awesome fighter. Like he can hold his own. Like he, when he's on point, he's on point and he's disaster. He's dangerous, but most of the time he's not that because he's just okay. so resistant to it. Boba, Fett, and that's where he's yeah. The, the, the yeah, teenage
1: kid's like, I feel at home when I'm under my car working on my car. I'm confident as hell.
2: Yeah, and but that that's I gotta where, talk
1: to people at the supermarket.
2: And that's where he's like the opposite side of the coin of Boba boba wants the chain like he's craving it but he craves it too much to the point where he's his own detriment well,
1: boba reminds me of my friend kevin he's a very serious guy and when he's like makes a change he's like i am making you know i am going to be a new boba fett and you know th- do this and and you know he's like whereas din is falling in, into it Boba Fett's maybe overthinking it a little bit. Well, know? we
2: talked about that last week where, you know, where Finnick is like, I don't think the Swoop gang could kill the Tuscans. And Boba is so set and so focused yep. on his mission that he misses that red flag yep. because he is so like, I am going to change and this is my plan and I'm not going to. And, and it's and it's it's harmful. Well, his... he's
1: he's already changed and he's sort of high on his change. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
2: To his own detriment, again, right. because like, 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 take the litter. We talk, We use the litter example. Like we saw the power of the litter when the huts rolled in. And so like Boba is just like, no, I'm going to be so stubborn and it's going to be hard. I mean, Boba, Boba
1: did his hard. hero's journey literally in those first two episodes. He did a vision quest and was reborn and all that. So he did all that in the first two episodes and so that was so like they're that they dispensed with the hero's journey his is like okay what happens after the hero's journey you know right when you when you've been reborn and stuff and it's like you're not gonna be you're not gonna be perfect
2: exactly and that's why he's so fascinating compared like like Din and boba are fascinating completely different ways even though they're on the same path but they're taking very different paths and like and, and like like boba has like made so many mistakes already and he is his own detriment because he wants change so badly and dennis his own detriment because he is resisting change so badly and that's why they're the opposites of the same coin and i just find it really fascinating so yeah mm-hmm. um and the only other note is kind of a a small note um and it's just some good acting by pedro um to be honest like when the armor kicks den out like he starts breathing very heavily, like he, like uh, yeah, he just got. That's guns. about
1: all he can. That's all about. I mean, we don't even know for sure that that's Pedro's body. It, 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 it.
2: Probably not, to be in honest. Any, in,
1: in any given episode, so all his acting has to be like. When he's not, in the, you know, he's got to do a lot of stuff like breathing. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a good actor, so, like, yeah. But
2: but it's, it's a really cool choice, though, I like. Because, like, even if we're just going off the vocals, you can hear him breathing heavily from the vocals. And it sounds like Den's having a panic attack. Um, because he's just starting to, like, kind of gasp for air. And I'm not sure if he's trying not to cry or what, but he sounds like he's on the verge of a panic attack. It would, be, um, it
1: would suck to be a Mandalorian and all of a sudden develop claustrophobia too
2: yeah and so i i just i thought that was some really good acting choices from uh petra's voice acting because it really got the point across of him because i'm like is he about to like cry like is he having a panic attack what's happening like it's it's a really good moment but that's all i have for act two do you have anything else
1: i'm not i'm ready to wrap this puppy up
2: all right <clears throat> wrap act. this
1: wrap this cockadoodle doing rooster cute- rooster lizard up
2: the the beady the beady unit up oh I love him, um so act three, well Den is a broke ass bitch who just lost his job and. So he has to take public transportation to Tatooine. And I just had, I had to quote Alex Damon on this one. Cause it's just so funny. This was from his review of the episode. He said, Den's having a midlife crisis. So it's time for him to go build a hot rod. And I was like, that is the best like summary of this episode. <laughs> I had to include it. Um, and Den of course, being the dumb as he is, uh, checks his dark saber into baggage claim. Cause of course he does. Cause he's an idiot and he's all sad on the trip because there's a child in front of him and the child's, child's like, hi mister, you look sad. He's like, I'm not sad, you just remind me of my baby. Uh, and he takes out the little bundle of chain mail which happens to look like Groku's head and he's like, why does it look like Groku? Ah. And so, Den finally gets to Moss whatever. But now that this is important because oh my God, you guys, the real baby of the show arrives because a freaking bd unit runs out and it's so goddamn cute and he's just like look at him go look at him go he's right there and he's he's a precious little thing and then this fucking womp rat Comes out of nowhere and grabs BD, and I scream just like Pelimoto because Pelimoto is the best character, and she runs in there because she has to save her precious little boy. And I literally have the words "Get him, Pelly" written right here, like "Get him!" And so she starts fighting the Womp Rat for her BD unit's soul, and it's a battle for the ages. And then Mando arrives, and he shoots and kills the Womp Rat. But the womp rat, the mean thing, mangled little BD's foot, and he limps out of there like the cute boy he is. Guys, I fucking love BD units. They're so goddamn cute. I haven't even played Jedi Fallen Order, and I don't think I would function if I played as BD runs around and does cute things. I will not be a functioning human being when I finally played the game one day. So the reason Mando is on Tatooine and Moss whatever... ...is because Pelly has apparently found a replacement for the Razor Quest. The wait, Razor Quest? The Razor Crest! And he's like, awesome! I am so excited about my ship, because I'm having a crisis. And she's like, aw, well, where's your son? And Mando just kind of smiles and goes, that's why I'm having a crisis. Because I gave my son to a Jedi. And she's like, "Oh, well, you're an idiot. That's your kid. Anyway... So she takes him into the hangar and there is a busted up in one starfighter and it's not like a real starfighter it's like 40% of an actual ship. It's not actually a functioning ship and he's like, "Uh what the fuck am I looking at? I asked you for a Razor Crest and you said you had a Razor Crest." And she's like, "I never said I had a Razor Crest. I said I had a replacement for a Razor Crest." And He's like, no, no, if it's not a razor crest, I don't want it. because, I, But I'm not going through a midlife crisis. You're going through a midlife crisis, Pelly And she's like, Uh, don't yell at me for one, because I'm fine. And look, work with me. What else are you going to do? You don't have your cult. You don't have a job. You don't have a kid. So why don't you help me like repair this ship and then you can make a decision? And he's like, yeah, I have nothing else going in my life. I might as well. So then they have a start a montage of rebuilding the N1 starfighter. And guys, we find out another very important piece of information. Apparently, Peli has dated a Jawa because, of course, she did. And Peli Moto then said, Monster fucking pansexual rights queen because she is the best. She's fucked that Jawa and she likes a lot of different species. And I love Peli She is a pansexual queen and I love her. And as the montage roll on, you know what, Dent's starting to get into this whole, like, I'm working on my future ship thing. Like, he's starting to put, like, he grumbles some in the beginning, but he starts putting a little extra love into it. And and we th- this is important, because we do get, like, one scene that kind of really does tie this into the Book of Boba Fett. Like, they're, they're hanging out at one point, and Peli's like, yeah... The Pikes came to Tatooine and they're just fucking everything up. Like, we can't do anything. They're messing up all the spice trades with their spice. And they're just like really doing a lot of business and they're hurting people like us. And Den's like, that sucks. I wonder if I will fight them in the next two episodes because that sounds like something I will do. And she's like, I don't know. We'll see you in the finale. And so they finish the N1 Starfighter. And Den somehow just now notices. <laughs> that Peli has changed the entire back end of it. I don't know how he didn't notice it before, but it's Den, so I wouldn't put it past him.
1: Yeah, it's in my notes. (laughs) We just had a whole montage of them side, literally side by side working on a car. And he's just like, hey, how did, it's, it's Den, remember, how did get here? You know, it's like, well. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And Why, uh, why,
1: why no R2 unit?
2: Right, right? Oh, Din. You silly boy. And so, uh, Peli is like, yeah, that's for your son when you go get Grogu, You can thank me. I'm the best character. And it's time for Din to take it on a test drive. And the ship is, like, stupid fast. Like, it's ridiculously fast. And Din has the best time flying it. He even pulls up to, like, the little transport ship to look at the Rodian kid and he like gives him a big wave like Hi! I didn't wave at you before because I was sad but now I have a new car. Hi! My problems are not fixed. And he flies away. But not quite because he again gets pulled over by the cops. But not just any cop. It's Carson Teva. And Carson Teva's just like Dude, we gotta stop running into each other like this. Cause... I recognize your voice, and you're the Mando that had the Razor Crest, right?" And Din's like, "'No, not me. I'm sorry, our connection doesn't work. Uh, so bye, Carson. I mean, not Carson. I don't know you at all. You're not Carson Teva, who talked to my friend Karadun or anything in the last season. Bye!' And he flies away, and Carson's like, "'Huh. Yeah, I'm not doing the paperwork. Are you Rookie?' And the Rookie's like, "'Fuck no. I was Luke Skywalker in Season 2. I'm not doing shit!' And he's like, that's the spirit rookie. And they fly off to their jobs. So, Den lands the ship. And is like, how was it? And Den leans on the thing and goes, wizard. And somewhere 300 years prior, Ram Jamaran is so proud that his catchphrase is still around all this time later. And that concludes my joke section for Charles. And is like... Hey, by the way, while you were flying around, your friend was looking for you. And Den's like, "I don't have friends." What friend? And Finnick kicks open the door, and Finnick goes, "It's me!" And he's like, "Ah, Finnick, I do have friends." And they're like, "Yeah, it's so good to see you." And she comes over, and she's like, "Honey, my boyfriend needs your help. We are starting a war with the Pikes." are you interested? Because Boba is really sweet, and he's hot, and he's sexy, and he needs your help. And Den's like, okay, I will help you, but I gotta go see my son's school project first. On to next week, where Den goes to school. The end.
1: Bum bum bum.
2: Bum bum (laughs) bum.
1: Den's
2: Um... an idiot. I don't know how he didn't notice Peli putting the entire back end on a ship.
1: I... I I actually changed my I I changed my mind on this episode to where I like this episode, but not as much as I did when I saw it. I I like I the excitement of seeing it was one thing, but like it, as an episode, it's a good episode. It's fun. It's full. It's full of it's full of fun things happening. This this has one of my favorite things in in the Mandalorian or in book book of Boba Fett in it, and it's just one part. But it it sort of uh. It's sort of a uh, it's sort of a. Uh, you know, like, all right, we've got it. There's a lot of stuff, uh, like we've plotted the future, and there's a lot of stuff that we got to set up. You know, and when they worked it out, a lot of it landed in here. So it's it's a little it's a little loosey goosey on structure, you know. It's just it's a lot of things happening and a lot of things being told to us, but it's done very well. It's done very entertainingly, and that's it's it's very that, lighthearted.
2: That's interesting. I don't see it that way because I see it as like such a huge character building episode for both Den and Boba. So that's that's it interesting. Is.
1: It is, but it's not like it's it's not as much through show as it is through tell you know it's 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 a it's a lot of tell I punctuated get with some nice some with just nice visual and atmosphere and and funny you know like a little slapstick at the end and and just some fun just lots of fun you know punctuated with fun stuff.
2: I agree for act two, not for act three. And because of the ship building monologue, which is very much all visual storytelling of Den rebuilding himself.
1: Yes, it, it is. And I mean, and it's also like the ship is like, you see him polishing it till it's all silver and taking the paint off. And so it's mostly silver, you know, sort of like him, but, um, it just, it, it, the I mean the rest of the episode is like hey joyride you know which is awesome you know and hey Womp Rat action and you know the 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 scene with the scene where where um um why why can't I say her name? Fennec shows up and you know it's very you know TV showish where she's like Fennec Shen she sort of comes down and takes a seat in a very in a very, you know, um cocky sort of, you know, like hey, it's me, you know, and and it's 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 a little self-aware, more like the Book of Boba Fett and stuff. So it's it's just it's goofy fun. It's 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 sort of reveling in a lot of those those tropes. But it's not like it's not this like formed episode, you know, formed episode where like the whole plot is, is fine tuned into one thing. It's sort of doing a a bunch of, it's doing a bunch of homework and they really had to figure out how to do it in an entertaining manner and they succeeded very well at it. But it, it doesn't have the, the, the feeling of like, you know, the first two episodes where there's just sort of this one driving thing through it. And, uh, but, um, yeah, I, am I loved when he ran the pod race course cause he ran it backwards. So like,
2: oh, he did, didn't he, he ran it
1: backwards. Oh, interesting. And, 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 and I played the damn video game of the, that pod race course, which is so, which is exactly like the pod race course in you know in the movie in episode one and yeah he 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 went he he went right like you they they gave it away by the first thing he had to do was turn sideways to go into beggar's canyon and that's usually you're coming out you usually have to turn sideways to come out of there and he turned sideways so he just ran the course backwards and like i'm so familiar with that course and it was just interesting to see it backwards and the way that the way they filmed it was just you just felt the excitement and the 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 power and the energy of his. There's no reason his engine should have been rocking back and forth of that when he was, you know, on the ground. He turned on the engines like shaking in the it's not an internal combustion engine. <laughs> it does have a bunch of little explosions in it, but it looks, you know, it it, it tells you this is a hot rod, you know, and uh and he's having a, a lot of fun doing it so that was that was that 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 yeah that that particular scene actually like added a half point to my final score but that's is that all
2: i have for part three
1: i can't be all i have for part three yeah that's pretty much all i got for uh for part three
2: that's okay because i have a lot of notes again of course i do <laughs> um i'm just gonna go straight down through them um i think it is a nice touch that the little packet that has grogu's armor in it is shaped like grogu's head yeah um, and that, that's just a little nice touch because den just looks at it and it's just like he's holding a tiny grogu and he's just like i miss my son um i'm gonna say it again the beady units are just the cutest fucking thing in all of star wars they're so damn adorable and i want one so bad. They have a Lego of it, and it's so precious. And I'm just like, uh-huh, I want to build it. <laughs> I want it so bad. Um, I I want to talk a little bit about Pelly because I love her. And I love that she's like, th- this is why she's the best best friend character. Because Mando needs a ship, and he wants a Razor Crest. And the Razor Crest is very much a representation of his old life. But she, from the last two seasons, know how much he loves Grogu. So she kind of finds a ship that could represent their future together. She, like, she doesn't find a Razor Crest, she finds this other ship and she's like, I see this as a vision that could be his future with his son. And of course, like at this time, she didn't know that Din gave up Grogu to Luke because she's even just like, why would you do that, you idiot? Like, why? But like it, it's such a good representation of him opening himself up to the world more. Because, like, the first time he ever arrived in Pelly's yard, he was just like, don't get your droids near me. I don't want to know you and stuff. But it was Grogu that helped form their friendship because he's... You know, we talked a little bit about how Grogu yeah. is almost like a litmus test for people. Like, he sees how Grogu reacts to people, and then, like, that opens den to them. Um, And she did that. She did that for them. And so... She became a friend for him to constantly go back to and an ally, and she's so great in that role because she chooses this ship with grogu and Den's feature in mind. She doesn't go out of her way to find like right. his old way of life
1: well and, yeah it's its doesn't have a big it, it doesn't have a bathroom in it. it's not something you can live in, and it's not something you can haul bounties around in
2: exactly. It's, yeah. And and I think some of that, too, is because, like, she was even just like, why are you taking your kid on bounties? That's not safe. Like, she calls him out on it. Yeah. And because she's thinking of Grogu in this situation. And, like, when they first pull the ship out of the hangar and Den is looking over the ship, she very, she doesn't say anything. She just smiles at him. Like, because, like, she knows, like, she knows that this was the right choice. And she just very slyly smiles um, and then the other Pelly note that, that I found interesting is she notes that she's never been off world and I would just, yeah, want, I, I think w-
1: that's going to be a Chekhov's Pelly's never been off world. I think there's going to be a neat scene when she finally gets to go in space.
2: And I Maybe think she'll it's gonna, freak
1: out. <laughs>
2: well, that's the thing. I think it's going to go in two ways. Either she's going to have like an Ezra Bridger moment where she's just like, I'm in space kind of thing. Or, Knowing Pelly, she's going to get up in space and be like, This blows, take me back. <laughs> like, it's going to go one of two ways, and it's probably going to be her just being like, Eh, it's not a lot, it's not what I thought, take me home. Like, she's yeah, or gonna there be could impressed.
1: be a deeper reason for it because it's kind of like at her age, it seems like maybe she would have, you know, and with her personality too, you know, so maybe there's a reason that she's never gone off or or never gotten into a spaceship or something because it seems like you know with her personality and her like being like hey i'm really interested in other species or at least not averse to it you would think she'd want to get out there and and see see a little bit of the planets or and her business could definitely take her to go pick up some some junk or something you know parts or something
2: yeah that that could be um i i also find that a very interesting story too because in, in star wars we always have all like you know we hop planet to planet and you were constantly going everywhere so it's kind of cool to have a character that's like no i've been in one spot my entire life yeah. Like I, I think that's a really interesting story like kind of character because that that was ezra at the beginning of rebels but then he joins the co- ghost crew and then he he grows and stuff like that so i just think Poe's is a very interesting character because she's just like we, we don't often see characters who have only ever been in one place like they're very rare in Star Wars. So I just thought that was cool. My absolute favorite line of the episode: the Jawa hears that Pelly has dated a Jawa and he asks her out and immediately.
1: She goes, immediately.
2: And, and she goes, No, thanks. I'm working on myself right now. I love that line.
1: <laughs> but here's the thing: I I, I thought about that, but I, I was like, Man, that the Jawas are horny, you know. But then I'm like, but she was you know like the jawa like could have taken you know her talking about like oh you know i dated a jawa once is like giving him hints you know so he might have been like oh this oh
2: she's yeah
1: she's giving she's she's giving me the old uh the the old uh the old hint hint wink right. wink
2: right he jumped right on that he was just like oh really human let's go <laughs> like he was ready so, you know what, Jawa, good for you. Shoot your shot. I mean, worst, that, worst thing that's going to be said is, no thanks, I'm working on myself right
1: now. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, I'm not going to go into all the symbolism of the shipbuilding monologue, because it's very obvious. It's The the ship is becoming a symbol of Den. Yeah. Um, just how like the razor crest was very much a symbol of den of his old life like that is that is very much what it is like the stripping of paint is like the stripping of his old life and he's building his future like there's a, there's a shit ton of symbolism in that 10 minutes and this is a long enough episode as it is so i'm not going to go into it but what i do like about that scene is the change and th- this is kind of how like one of the things that i was missing in other book of book of episodes was when is the transition from I'm here with like the mods and then I become loyal or with Finnick where I'm like, I'm in this place, but then I become loyal. We actually see it here where Dan at first is like very grumbly and he's like, this ship sucks. It's horrible. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like grumbling the first half of the montage, but you see the change where he's starting to get more invested and he's starting to see a future that he can commit to. And he's not fully there yet until the test flight. And that's when he's just like, okay, I'm starting to accept this. I don't know what the future is hold, going to hold for me or Grogu, but I'm starting to see this path.
1: She he, she knew he was going to do it from the beginning. That's why she was exactly. just like, yeah, yeah, you can have your money back if you want. It's fine. You know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's why Polly is like the best, best friend. <laughs> um, this was a cool note that Alex Damon po- pointed out in his review. Um, I missed this, but I liked this point. So I just wanted to note it because I thought it was a cool idea. This episode is a nice blending of so many of the universes of Star Wars. Moss Eisley ties us to the original trilogy. The N1 tie- Starfighter ties us to the prequels. The Darksaber ties us to animation. The BD unit ties us to the video games. And I just thought that was a really cool note because it, it's sure. true. And I, and I I do like when Star Wars canon sings like this. When this that's part of the reason why I love Rogue One so much. Because Rogue One is just like this. It's just a... a Beautiful fabric tapestry of the canon. So, yeah. Um, Carson Teva. Uh, Carson Teva. Okay. I need more of him. Because he is, and, and I mentioned this, I think, in the episode with the frog lady. And, I, and, and also the episode where he talks to Kara and wants her to be part of the New Republic. He is such a fascinating character. And I need, like, 12 more episodes of him. Because he knows from the start, this is Mando that they ran into. And he, and we know from past episodes. Well, that he was
1: sh- he was gonna be a character and it he was gonna be a character in that show, I'm sure.
2: I still want him to be the I want him to be the main character of the show of, of Rangers of the New Republic. I want him to be the main character. because he's from all the context we have of him up to this point, he knows that shit is going down in the outer rim there are Imperial remnants uh, running around and the Core Worlds are absolutely ignoring them. He, the Core Worlds and the government are not listening to people like him, that there is shit brewing and we know it's the First Order. We know it as the audience. And he is probably aware that the Pikes are on Tatooine he probably doesn't have the manpower to do anything about it. And there's so much like of the politics wrapped up around that character that, like I said, in our season two wrap up of Mando, that is very much the missing piece of this timeline is what is happening on that side of things, because this is all cool stuff. And it's it's great to see the Mandalorian shit and stuff like that. But we as the audience know that the First Order is out there. We, the audience, know that they're building and we need that piece of the story for the sequel trilogy. Um, and he is the character to do that. And there's so much potential for him. And I really want more Carson Teva. Like, every time he's on screen, I'm just like, he's going to give us stuff. And I need stuff. And I want more of him. Like, I just like want to shake the Filoni in his cowboy hat and Fabro with his little glasses and be like, give us more Carson Teva. Um, the last point I wanted to make that I haven't made yet about Boba and Den being thematically linked is essentially coming down to the new direction in the future. Um, and why that is. Because Din and Boba, one is a foundling and the other one is the son of a foundling. And they represent the new direction for Mandalorians, and they're probably going to be the ones that save them. Because we've seen that Bo Katan and the armor's ways don't work. You know, one way was crazy, Satine's way was too pacifist, the armor is a cult, and one's a terrorist. Like, like none of this has worked for Mandalore. And so here we have these two foundlings who are trying to figure out their paths. They don't know who they are. One knows being Boba. Like, Boba has a very clear vision of who he wants to be, but he's having struggles getting there. And the other one is Den, who is absolutely resisting who he is and is having trouble getting there. And this was the episode where it kind of made me think about all of this Mando stuff like Game of Thrones. It was this episode where... It's all telling the same story, but from just different points of view. But this is why Din is so perfect in Book of Boba Fett. Because he is very much telling Boba's story as well, through his point of view. And Boba, Boba is very much telling Din's story. That's why he was in season two. Because he shows up when Din needed him. And he's telling the exact same story, but just on two different paths. And this is why this episode works so well, because you're right, it is a Book of Boppa-fed episode because Din is very much telling Boppa's story. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I... Hope had a very long paragraph of notes, but she already said like two-thirds of the paragraph, so she had to figure out what parts she hadn't said yet. That's what all that <laughs> rambling was. <laughs> but essentially, they're they're both telling the story of what Mandalore's future is going to be, and what how these new kinds of Mandalorians are going to come yeah. into
1: play. well, it's also part of the larger story of posts like the Jedi and everything. Of basically, the the old power structures have been have been torn down. You know, and it was the people who are on the edges or the outside of it now who might be the ones who have to sort of take up the the uh, vacuum, you know, are better suited to, I should say.
2: Yeah, and the the one character that I kind of am interested to get into this mix is actually Sabine. We know that Sabine is going to be in the Ahsoka show, and the Ahsoka show's in the Mandoverse. And that's the part where I feel like it's going to be a little bit interesting, because Sabine is very different from Boba and Den. And I think she's going to show... And she's a very different kind of Mandalorian from Bo-Katan, too, as well. And from the Armourers. So, like, we're going to have, like, five different kinds of Mandalorians. And the whole point is trying to figure out what it's going to be. I have to wonder if the whole Thrawn stuff is going to come back to Season 3 of Mando. And the only reason I say that is because we know from Rebels that Thrawn has ties to Mandalore. You know, that was one of the places where he was doing his shit. And so I could see Thrawn taking a stand around Mandalore. And so then, you know, the Armorer, Den, Boba, Sabine, and Bo-Katan have an enemy to unite them. Right. You know, a common enemy to bring them all together. Because that's that's what it really is about. Like, Mandalorians, and I actually, let me take this out of Star Wars. People in general, we have more in common than we have different. And... It's so hard to see that because we get all stuck in our own ways. We all have our own this is the way. and But when we have a common united goal, it's easy to put aside differences then and work together. And I think that's what they're building towards where we're seeing all these different Mandalorians from the armor to Sabine, Boba Fett, and Den, and Bo-Katan. And they're going to reach the point where they're like, we all have a common goal. We all love Mandalore. We all want to rebuild it, and we have this common enemy. Let's put our shit aside, and I really do think that's what they're building towards. But I think it's going to come down to Den and Boba leading.
1: I think it. I. I don't think it. I. I. I don't know if it will be Den that's leading.
2: I know. I know. Okay. We're torn on that one. because I, I. I think it is going to be Den, but I do see where you're coming at with Boba, which is why I didn't say Den leading, which is why I said Den and Boba leading, because i think that's very much a um yeah it's 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 odd i i feel like you know i i, I guess don't I, just... I
1: don't i don't think they want to can interconnect have those shows that interconnected
2: but they they are they're all in the mandiverse. like ahsoka is a continuation i mean, of her I, story mean and I mean two.
1: story-wise story-wise i mean they are they they are connected but i i think they they'll they'll want those two stories to go their separate ways just so they can run both shows just as their as their own and I, don't, I don't know that i don't think they're going i don't know i would actually be kind of psyched if they were going to be freely just sort of you know doing what they did with this and having the characters just sort of oh well you know maybe boba doesn't show up in this show <laughs> in this episode you know maybe it's a mando episode but yeah. i don't think they're going to i don't think they're going
2: to you know how in game of thrones finale how everyone got pissed off because brom stark became the king out yes. of nowhere i just had the thought of like out of nowhere we've had all these characters and then Corky cries, comes out, and he's like, yeah. I'm the true king of Mandalore.
1: Yeah, now these have, <laughs> people have to write think pieces about, like, if you didn't watch the Star Wars cartoons, you're not going to be knowing what's going on this week. It's <laughs> just
2: Corky cries the entire time. Just like, yeah. I'm, I'm the king of Mandalore. And they're all like, yes, Corky is the best choice, because he's the one that tells the story. <laughs> I will actively quit Star Wars if that happens actively quit it. Um, I don't know. I just, I have trouble. And I guess this is where it's hard for me to see Boba work so hard to free Tatooine to not actually rule it because he's worked so hard to get there. And so it would definitely take something major in season two for me to see him walk away. And like, maybe he leaves Fennec in charge. Like maybe he's like, this is yours now. And I got to go do my own thing. And she's like, cool. Kiss me goodbye. And they like kiss. And they're like, she'll like, I'll see you in like a year. Be safe. I love you. You know, like, I, I don't know. it's just hard for me to see Bobo walk away from tatooine when he's fought so hard for it.
1: maybe he maybe instead of rule it ruining, maybe he makes a democracy so <laughs> sets, sets, sets it on a new path towards, yeah, maybe sets it on a new path towards where t- tatooine is in a planet of of um bad warring crime lords and is more, you know,
2: the people rule it
1: yeah the yeah, and, I can see and that. the sand people are are like actually recognized as people who live <laughs> you know the the
2: what a concept
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know something so something to that effect you know
2: yeah, I could see that
1: or or i I mean that would be kind of uh that would be kind of uh unrealistic but uh, put but he could put it on that course, maybe
2: yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could I could see that too. I could absolutely see that going that way. So but that's My work
1: here is done. <laughs>
2: yeah. But that's all I have for this episode. Do you have anything else? No. All right, well score it up for me, Chris.
1: I gave it an eight point five, but I was going to give it an eight until I saw the backwards pod race course. Because I always like episode one love. And yeah I I I it's not that it's a bad episode it just like I sort of saw it as as more of a sort of a very entertaining and well put together functional um necessary exposition episode and and they were and they and the combination of it showing up by surprise and being so fun really like razzle dazzled you away from thinking like oh this is just sort of a story episode which is the you know good writing but it yeah not 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 one of the more structured episodes or you know or, or a story with a like you know there's there's thematic stuff happening in it but it's it's sort of a collection of cool stuff happening but yeah it's 8.5 I, it's funny because I've probably been a little more like um, little uh, like saying less negative things throughout the whole review and i'm I'm a full point lower than you
2: right. That's like great. i I've already said my score already it's it's a nine point five like I think this is probably in the running for the best episode of the season. I think it's tied with episode two, very much so. um it. Like the my only real criticism is the uneasy feeling of just like having all this Mandalorian resolution in the middle of Book of Boba Fett, and but Bo- and Boba Fett's not even even in the episode, um, which is conflicting. I would say, but like not enough for me to like dis up like this episode. It's an excellent episode. It's so well done. There's so much in it. And I love it. And of course it has Pelly, my pansexual monster fucking queen. Like I love her. <laughs> in the beauty unit has a beauty in it. And I love that little boy. I just I want 12 of them and have them follow me around. And I'd be like, Yes, love me, little beaties. And I, I'm not a droid person. Like I am not a droid person, but I fucking love beauty units. They're the cutest little things. So yeah, and point five out of ten. It's a great episode. As always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, or on the Two True Freaks Facebook page. This week, our feedback comes from our Mandalorian episode, The Believer. The best episode of Mandalorian so far, hands down. So far. You know what? I I was watching, like, I was thinking about this today. The Believer feels like a precursor to Andor.
1: It. Uh, yes it has yes. a lot
2: of the same kind not of like
1: themes. not like in the story but in like lucas film pro- producing something and like yeah. the
2: themes and like the like how the characters are and the kind yeah. of gritty, the grittiness of it and that those moments when you're like yay they made it wait i'm sharing well, just,
1: just in the timeline wise that and and i don't know if we really noted it but now looking now that you say that about andor when when that that episode is very much like Rogue One. It's got a lot of the same look. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like uh, on the ground type stuff, and it's actually it's sort of a it's sort of a little bit of the same sort of tropical terrain.
2: Oh man, Tony Gilroy writing, Rick Famuyiwa directing, what a match! Oh, that would be some Star Wars. Oh, that'd be so good. Um, anyway, take it away, Chris.
1: Okay, so Diego says I think that Mayfield is also a believer. He believed in the Empire and then lost faith in it after Operation Cinder, but I believe 100% with Hope X's take about Din. Weren't there also civilian workers in the factory too? They were clapping at Din and Mayfield and they didn't Mayfield and they did not look like stormtroopers. Maybe the workers were like you guys said just a, just trapped in the middle of the conflict. Yeah, I, or they I mean there's there, like we're seeing in in Andor. There's a lot. There's Imperial workers that don't dress in stormtrooper. You know that are just sort of like workers. You know.
2: Yeah, so. it's it's hard to tell because we also see in Rebels like like the Sumars for existence. Um, for for um for an example. Um the Samars get their farm destroyed and they have no choice but to work in Imperial factories. And that runs into the argument that Tam makes in resistance of like my grandfather worked in an Imperial factory. Did that make him bad? He was just putting food on the table. Like yeah. and that's 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 the kind of episode it is, is like it makes you really think about like, yeah. are these people there because they want to be, or are they're they there because they have no choice? Um, I don't remember this, Diego. They
1: could be contractors.
2: They could be. Um, they're dead now. yes um but i I actually don't remember that um diego so i'm glad you pointed that that out because i'd have to go back and see it but um yeah but that's the whole point of the episode it makes you think about stuff like that like are they there because they want to be or are they there because they have to be which are two very different answers
1: all right and now our next one is i have to let me take a little drink here (laughs) lube up my voice for Doing the Gene Hendrix voice.
2: I love your gene voice, it always makes me smile. Mm,
1: okay. It's a short one. And Din Ezra over to the terminal. I love how Ezra is a verb now. Laffy face. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But it's true. He was like, "I am acting and walking well, to this terminal." Yeah, d-
1: just to divide. Just to go back to that episode. Ezra is to Ezra is to just very poorly conceal your spying um, exploits in public. Just in the most pathetically, like, just to do everything wrong to look awkward and, or do everything right to look awkward and, and out of place and up to something
2: yeah absolutely but that's all i have for return of the Mandalorian*. do you have anything else i don't all right well chris if that's all you got where can people find you
1: you can find me at two truefreaks.com. that is our podcast and we have all the podcasts there sorted by episodes sorted by years and months and piling up by the thousands, five or six thousand to be more, or less. Boring.
2: Holy shit! Are you serious? It's yeah. really that high?
1: Yeah, we have five or Jeez. six thousand podcasts in there. At least we might be. We, we might not have them all loaded up into the new website yet either. So yeah, it's. Uh,
2: we don't even have all the J guys and Jedi uploaded to the new website. Uh, like to be on Apple, like it only goes back to like episode like 250 or something. Like we only have like half of rebels and up
1: so. see apple uh, apple might just i don't know apple's weird about that cuz they they should be even if they were we, even we have
2: to manually change the thing cuz i was doing some of them and it's yeah, just no it's just no a they'll time they'll, thing. they'll
1: come back when we put them on this but even the i mean we put those ones up before through apple they should still be on there you know cuz
2: they just might be under the old link
1: yes yeah but people have used those old links and they work they still work you if you use those old, old the old links from our old website are going to work because they they just link to a file and those files are still sitting there you know yeah it's, so if you're uh, trying
2: to hear some of our like early clone wars episode you might just have to do a touch of digging on apple and you'll find it It's because they're they're under the old link
1: yeah yeah yeah
2: which i think is like instead of jagas and jedi it's like two true freaks presents jagas and jedi it's something along those lines Yes it.
1: yes, it is. It's Two True Freaks pre- presents J-Guys and Jedi. Anyway, that's where, that's our main because website. Because it's a
2: lot of work for Chris and help to upload 344 episodes manually.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: We don't have time for that.
1: It's just yeah, no, re- we really don't. Um, I
2: did about a, like 50 and I was like, this is uh.
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, it's better just to do one or two at a time every once in a while when you get a chance and just let it Time goes by, they'll add up. <laughs> if anybody gets really hot and can't find one, they can get a hold of us, and we'll get you—we'll get you that episode. Worst uh,
2: comes the worst; they're on the website.
1: I can, yeah. Worst comes the worst; I can get you get you that episode episode into your hot little hands. Also, you can find us on Facebook, um, which is we got the Two True Freaks podcast and the Two True Freaks Cantina. The podcast being. Where we post up all our episodes, and the cantina being what it sounds like—a place to hang out and shoot each other cold-bloodedly while everybody else ignores it. Uh, and you can also find us on Twitter, and our Twitters run by the uh, aforementioned big-voiced Gene, Jean. Jean Gene, Jean, Gene—the Star Wars dictionary machine.
2: Do 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 do, Gene
1: and that's where you can find me where can they find you hope
2: you can find me at J Guys and Jedi on Twitter. I run our Twitter account. You can also find me at Hope Molinax on Twitter. Um, I am a contributor for Dork Side of the Force, so I've been doing a lot of writing over there about stuff like Tales of the Jedi and the Ahsoka novel, and I've been writing about Andor a lot over there. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm also a staff writer for The Geeky Waffle, and I know come January I will be doing our Bad Batch recaps, so you can check that over there at The Geeky Waffle. And I also am part of a wonderful, awesome project called For Light and Dice. It is a podcast that's a real play tabletop podcast. You can hear us rolling dice. Actually, my dice bag is right here. So yeah hear that? That's my dice. Um, it lives on my desk now. Um, and we are doing a podcast set in the Ohio Republic era. Um, if you're not familiar with that era, it's a good way to kind of get into it, because it is a different era, and it's a lot of fun, and we're with, I, I work with a group of wonderful people, um, our, our listener Charles being one of them, and I am having the best time, and I'm very proud of this project, and I hope you guys check it out, because I love it, and we're only a few episodes in, and this is a good time to get in on the adventure, and we accidentally killed somebody last session. It was not our fault. Not our faults at all. But you know what, consequences... If you weren't
1: act- playing the game in the first place, it wouldn't have happened, Hope.
2: Well, all I can say is actions don't have consequences, to quote Colton. <laughs> <laughs> actions never have consequences. Good thing
1: actions don't have consequences. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, we, we might have killed a hut. It was not our fault. We were set up. And now we're running. So there's a little hint of what happened. Um so yeah go check it out for light and dice I'm, I'm super proud of this project if you are listening let me know I, I would love to hear your thoughts on it and you can hear us on wherever you get your podcast so uh, next week I'm excited we're starting the beginning at the end and my cad boo is back next week my cad boo
1: hello hope I hope you enjoy my appearance on the book of Boba Fett next week I do the force.
2: No, no. So, are you making a joke about how I went off about Cad Bane and bad B- B- badges? No, I'm doing, I'm
1: doing AI Luke Skywalker.
2: Oh my god! Yeah, I forgot about it. It's such a mixed episode where I'm just like, oh, Rosario's here, and AI Luke is creepy, but also Cad Bane. <laughs> like it's it's a mixed bag episode, and I, I like and it. It's gonna be an interesting one next week. So come join us next week for. Chapter 6, From the Desert Comes a Stranger. Ooh. Yeah, the stranger is Cadbu. It's
1: who, does, who doesn't
2: have Toto, and I'm very upset. Uh, I would have loved a live-action Toto, but th- honestly, that would have been very expensive to make, so.
1: Maybe later, yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah. Later. I,
2: I can only imagine how expensive it would be to bring Toto into live-action, and then you have to pay Seth Green, and then you have to puppeteer it, and see Oh, for Christ's
1: sake, they, they did the robot from the video game just early in the episode. They can make Toto. If they want to make Toto, they can make Toto. They're doing Star Wars. You got Star Wars characters. You got to do them. Some of them are robots that hover. So
2: Right, right. Justice for Toto, everybody. Justice for Toto. Hashtag it. <laughs> Tell Elon Musk. Hashtag it
1: might be Toto. in the Mandalorian. Think, I think Book of Boba Fett's a, like a lower-budgeted show than The Mandalorian, so maybe it'll show up in like a higher-budgeted show.
2: So, anyway. Alright, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye.
1: Bye.
0: Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks
1: Two is always spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S. You can email 2 True Freaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2 True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search 2 True Freaks" with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number 2. Roger, roger.